the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC London Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night Hey yo, what's up everybody? Dan Tom here. Later than usual. Host of the Protect Your Neck podcast this year's show. Of course, analyst is work you can find as well. On MMA Junkie, as well as the ActionNetwork.com. Uh, but on this year's program, again, the Protect Your Neck podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, recording this Thursday night. Hey, I got my intro right, kind of, this week. Uh, anyways, uh, but yeah, uh, we're recording it, of course, in the United States. It's for UFC London. It's going on in London, in UK time. I don't know what the hell you call that. But it's like eight hours difference from this. Anyways, I'm recording at 9 p.m. Pacific time here on the west coast of, uh, of the United States. Uh, somewhere in a mountain in a bunker. Uh, no. Okay. Let's take a sip of my coffee. Apologies, guys. Uh, again, believe it or not, someone who uh, talks is open, wears the hats on the sleeves, complains, however you want to characterize it. Uh, uh, trying to talk too much about the personals, but... Uh, just a lot going on here, but what I will say is uh, just just uh, just dog stuff. Cause I know we got a lot of sympathetic dog people that was wishing Brownie well. Looks like it was just kennel cough, but it went over to Benjamin, who you'll hear hacking in the background here. He's a bit older, so uh, I've been uh, just running around uh, and I got them on like a drug regimen. So it's like every eight twelve hours for this one, eight to twelve. It's it's a lot of math, uh, and I haven't been sleeping much um, with them. Just just making sure they're good. Uh, yeah, they should be good. Uh, just. Hopefully this is just going through the worst of it, and uh, we'll carry through antibiotics and steroids, baby. Um, you can tell when the old man gets some steroids because he's like jumping and active. And uh, speaking of steroids, we will get to fights um, again. The normal uh, format. Uh, thank you guys for the positive comments and ratings and reviews and all that stuff that you guys keep coming in. I'm gonna be respectful of your time, so I probably won't get to any like the Amazon reads and the click-throughs over at MixedMartialAnalyst.com if you want to support this here free program. Uh, but uh, just know it's appreciated. And for those of you who, whenever we do get complaints, it's like, aside from like the controls or something. Um, what's up, James Kendrick? Ghost Phantom in the house. I'll see you guys. What's going on? Um, yeah, the Enforcer, Ghost Phantom. See you, Dan. UFC has been bad, but this show is always fun. Appreciate you. I'll try to keep that uh, same feels going forward. Do the best I can. Also, try to be respectful of your time since I am late. And since it's an early show start time. Uh, but again, just to go over the format and uh, address the, the the complaints I do get, which is always about the format, which is like, it's, I've been doing the same thing for over half a decade, and even if you've not been listening that long, like it's real easy to like go to YouTube and see who does the actual timestamps, uh, this guy, uh, to make things easier so you can jump to the parts you like. And I even do a recap, which most shows, even if they do timestamp, don't do so you can listen to me as little as possible, which I don't even disagree with you with. So it's like, uh, every, you know, so get out of your feelings, especially when these comments are like coming through like after the show went live. So you weren't stuck with me like the live audience is, the real troopers out there. Appreciate you guys. Smash that like button. Like you guys have the privilege to jump ahead. 
and you get emotional and every time I respond respectfully but also like letting them know like buddy I, I give you all these tools like, I'm not disagreeing with you like what, what are you doing complaining here none of them 0.0 ever come back and and go oh yeah oh thanks or oh you're right my bad never you never ever get that because they're just being emotional and being negative just like the trolls they'll hit you when you're low but then like you know uh, you, you know at least as far as gambling trolls go like ah, it's been real crickets on that front is with we what is it officially i know we took a week off in there but officially four winning weeks in a row that's right um i'm not sure how well we did it, it wasn't too bad what was it um it was a winning night. It wasn't a big night, but uh, it, we went 11 and two in picks overall, quietly, which is really good when you look at it. Uh, we'll talk about a really embarrassing pick game play that we got wrong, a part of the statistic. But you could argue, which we'll get to with the uh, the Nam fight. You could argue we did, we went 12 and one, but um, you know, no spilt milk there. 11 and two is, is is good. Two and one in straight plays, which saved our butt. One and seven in props, but again, a lot of those are round flyers. And even though the round flyers didn't hit, which would have made it a massive night. Uh, Two round threes were pretty close uh, in the uh, co-main and main, but again, uh, those fights that I do the most study on tend to do the best. They tend to also, or the fights that I have the biggest bets on, which when they especially coincide the fights I do the most tape on, um, that's what's been keeping me afloat, even on losing nights and losing streaks. Like, you look at it, I'm still hitting, like, my biggest bets. And again, uh, quietly, more than paying my rent on the prop squad. And the co-main event, um, which again got shifted from a co-main event, but even my read and leans there, which we'll get to for what ended up being the co-main event, hit at a plus up to plus 800 odds. So we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about that, of course. Uh, of course, we went one and four, which is like a normal in the round robins, which means we got nothing from there, which also means we went 0 and one for the long shot parlay. That was, of course, for USC Vegas 77 home versus Shitara. Lido! Hey there, Snarf. You uh, want to get wasted or something? <laughs> Snarf! Sorry. <laughs> Family Guy skit is great. I think they actually got like the actual guys that voice that to do it. Uh, if not, you guys can hire me. I don't do a bad. I don't do a bad Lionel. Um, but yeah, of course we got Shitara uh, defeating Holly Holm uh, via second round submission, standing guillotine. Um, again, I, it really validated me. You know, I, I remember again you know, taking. You, you either look like a genius or you look like an idiot, which we'll get to on this card for sure. Both sides, I, I, I fit that bill. Um, but, like, you know, I remember even kind of feeling like an idiot because I was like, ah, why does Dan care about this Meyer Buonasova, Manon Fioro fight? Um, is he comparing this girl to, you know, Chucky Olives or whatever? And uh, even though she goes on to lose that fight, as I pointed in the South Paul report, you know, there were, there were seeds there that definitely gave her trouble and made for bad optics, but it wasn't as bad as perceived when you actually go back and watch the fight. And again, you look at um, the actual effective strikes, the impactful strikes, which was to the body. Again, surprise, surprise, from common narrative to scorecards, body work not getting not getting credit. Hmm, who saw this com coming? You know, back to the, the meme I posted, the butterfly. Is this meme? I did the, is it body work? Someone hurt from body shots? Is this effective striking? Like, I know everyone's getting sick of it, but I just can't help it that I continue to get sample sizes every week, and so do other analysts who know what striking is. Anyways, um, but yeah, uh, there were there were things there, and, you know, Shitara goes on from that fight, wins. She even says, you know, I'm like, I am like, you know, Charles Oliveira, and then she actually leaves that camp and goes to American Top Team to work with Bahumpa, uh, uh, you know, who is a coach to those like Pantoja, uh, again, other Brazilian war horses who are just the Muay Thai Jiu-Jitsu, just marauders coming forward. 
quietly improving their wrestling uh, or quietly have underrated wrestling, all those guys, the Dubronxes, the Pantojas, Shitaras, right? Um, but it's that pick your poison, you know? You really got to control the fight or stomp, stomp, uh, stomp them out slash finish them, which... You know, especially for the uh, the Pantoshes and the Shitaras so far, you know, difficult to do. I'm um, sorry. And I'm not sleeping. I'll also have terrible eye issues. And uh, took time to get my dog's uh, medicine, which was taking time. That's why I started late. But I skipped treating my eyes since, like, yesterday. So, uh, for what it's worth. Trying here. Trying, folks. Mark Fellows in the house. All the best to the canines, ZT. Yeah, 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 yep. Appreciate that, Mark. Appreciate Hope you're doing well, buddy. Jimmy Kudo in the house. Hello. Be nice. We don't need any negativity today. Yes, yes, sir. Appreciate it. No, the chat's been really cool, man. You guys have been doing great. And that's a lot. And thanks to the enforcers, like the, you know, uh, Ghost Phantoms. Got the Jimmy Kudos in the house. Dan is nice enough to give us his time, and he should not have to do crazy showing up in the chat. Yeah, man. People get crazy with the trolls. Like, not even, like, the chat. Like, uh, you just get, like, people, like, invading, like, privacy and trying to, like, uh, Trying to get at you. Sorry, I'm like talking when the dog's like hacking up here. Um, but yeah, no, it felt great with the Shitara thing just to kind of see that kind of come to fruition, you know. And uh, we saw it, you know, the effective striking was on full display. I know I saw a lot of people giving home credit uh, to, to win. I didn't go back to watch it. I'm sure optically, I could. There, there, there's reasons why. But again, like the Manon Fioro fight, even more so, I imagine, with that round one. Uh, if you go back to look, like, who was really landing the, the more impactful, effective strikes. And she started almost doing too well, where I was like, oh, no, no, we need to get this into my, my you know, machine guns around 3, 4, and 5. Those would have been big tickets, I think. 3.5 units, 4.5, 5.5 to 6 units, uh, depending on the rounds that hit, right? Or something like that crazy. Um, and, um, yeah, that didn't happen. We got it in round two, but uh, it was by submission. I did think it was going to be by submission. I know it was real tempting to play the KO because they do that with the big numbers, and it's easy to, like, make a case. And why not? Like, I'm not hating on it, by the way. I'm just saying, like, it's the pitfall that is where we, we have all fallen, fall, fallen privy to uh, at one time or another. It's what it's designed to do is what I'm saying. Uh, but when you look at the puzzle pieces and the analysis, the tactics, the, the tape, all that fun stuff, Dan Tom jerk off Jeff because it's not fun. Um, yeah, I just saw that the, the, the submission was going to be there, so which is why, I, like, well, I, I, I'm more exposed than I would like to be. And then, you know, in hindsight, when it goes like, like you thought, you're like, oh, I didn't put enough, you know. And I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to be a bad winner here, or anything like that. But I, yeah, I did try to spread it out the love into the uh, round robin, which would have paid big. Uh, as we get to the uh, co-main event, of course, or not the co-main event. Well, it was the co-main event. Well, we'll go to the co-main event actually. Jack Delamena. Uh, defeated Basil Hafez um, props to people who listen to the very end on the audio version I snuck in the actual audio clip of that thing I'll do stuff like that from time to time on audio versions as well as like you know cheeky intro music or change ups on it uh, but you guys seem to like the music choices surprisingly despite how weird and vast my taste is uh, but yes this one not trying to play hindsight because again um, and I'm not trying to woulda shoulda coulda either at the same time uh, but but again, I did say uh, uh, leaning the over here. I don't know if I would get to Jack Della by decision, and then when I actually, um, you know, again, I all say go look for the wait for the official picks and, and even the quick picks because even if it doesn't make the plays, see where my analysis is. And my analysis did get there, even though my balls did not, unfortunately. Um, as far as picking Jack by decision, I said it's going to be a surprisingly competitive fight because Basil and I said this on this. Uh, program here too because I actually went and did tape on Basil and actually did it before the show 
just sadly a surprise for me these days. Um, but um, yeah, I said the guy's durable. You know, he's going to be able to have uh, grappling chops to lean back on. It is the small cage, which will increase action, but also grappling opportunities. And of course, the opportunities were uh, even more greased up by Jack's gilly attempts, um, which I imagine was making inside the distance better sweat. Um, but I will say, if you guys did, I did say, I did the, the leaving thing. I said, if you're going to bet the fight, uh, either over, or if uh, you're looking to bet Jack in particular, round, he's either going to finish in round two, which I know, Jack, Dan, you've been you've been wrong about the round twos, like, two or three times in a row with Jack. Well, I stayed away from it this time, and even though you're going to say you were wrong again about it this time, ha, 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 what was the closest round he had to having a finish, and it was round two. It, that was that was probably the most atrocious of all the guillotine pulls that, 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 that Jackie did, right? Um... But uh, he, which was silly that like you know he he lost round two on, on some cards too because I was like again optics I get but like, and I believe me I'm 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 all for one for effective grappling but like uh, he wasn't getting too you know uh, as close with the uh, are we still on here oh, okay we're still going uh, he wasn't getting as close like you know and, and, you know as like Pantoja was with like you know submissions and you know Pantoja was arguably not even getting super close right in some of those rounds. Um, and even though Pantoja wasn't super active with ground and pound as much as you would like as a Pantoja uh, fan or something or backer in that spot, right? Um, as seen in that fight and as well as previous fights when I did the Pantoja ground and pound uh, collage there, he doesn't need a lot. He's really accurate, right? And uh, Hafez wasn't even really doing that. And he definitely needs more ground strike. And that's something that, that was kind of noticed in the tape as well. So, yeah, um, I don't blame anybody that was 29-27 or even a 30-26. I think those are very defensible scorecards. Uh, again, I'm not trying to be uh, the scoring podcast. I'm going to try to push on. Shouts to Couch Judges if you want uh, more scoring talk. Uh, but, like, but yeah, um, I don't blame anybody who had those scorecards. I was just kicking myself for not playing, sprinkling, you know, 20 bucks on the plus 800 and a unit uh, on plus 160. But And I was actually, like, under, like, a unit and a half of my... I don't know if you want to call it a cap or my average because it's what I average, but it's also what I try to cap myself off at, which is like seven, roughly 7.5 units. And I think I was only at like f six units roughly for total exposure. So I had room for it, but I was in this mindset and this is how it kind of plays with you. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to be this me trying to be a quote unquote good winner, not get my head big. Oh, it's fucking huge. What am I going to do? It's genetics here, but you know what I mean? Figuratively speaking, not get my head big and um and yeah like uh i'm just like you know uh when you're hot when you're hot you're seeing the board you're seeing the board and perhaps that was the case this last week and i it was a classic case of not uh shout out to my guy clint trusting my balls enough right but um i also you know going into the week i'm like this is the kind of spots where you get burned like dan you haven't been able to put together two winning streaks uh, cards much less three uh what are the odds we're gonna get four on a shit volatile card like this right like you were just asking to lose money, no matter what your record was, betting a card like this, forget the fact that you're betting volatile MMA. So I was like, let's go more let's go more conservative here. Let's be responsible, right? And uh, so that was kind of the mindset as to why I didn't pull the trigger on a lot of these. Um, Francisco Prado defeated uh, Otman Azatar. No plays here, no, no strong leans I gave, because I didn't really feel too strong. So not that I'm a chest bumper, but for that reason especially, definitely not bumping my chest on this one. Prado won TKO round one. Uh, John Young Park defeated Albert Durea via submission Renee choke round two. Four minutes and 45 seconds. 15 seconds short of round three. This is the one that I was teasing. This was originally slated as a co-headliner. I was on here telling you how John Young Park doesn't get enough respect. How he's called unassuming. Uh, he deserves ranked fighters. 
Um, people overlook his striking because they go, ooh, wow, big head strikes, and he's really actually doing good work with his jabs, his low kicks. He's a good grappler. He will tire guys out. He has good cardio. You can't base it on the Anthony Hernandez fight. Anthony Hernandez is a freak like that um, who's not beyond his own impervious things. You know, he's uh, someone with good body work is going to attack uh, Hernandez, go take down defense and body work. But, but as far as Hernandez's pace and weapons, those deserve to be respected, and I think that loss has aged well. Uh, you know, you got to keep in mind he was younger on some of those fights coming through this, you know, early pandemic era 2020. Um, and all those things come through. All those things come through. And people are surprised, surprised, saying, hey, this Jung Young Park guy's pretty good. Hey, this Jung Young Park guy should get ranked fighters. Who's been saying that? Who's been saying that before this? Um, you know, who's been riding the park money trains in this streak? You know, but. Uh, and yeah, and again, uh, Durayev, he was going to go and, and try to make a statement, and he was going to underestimate Park because, again, you know, a Asians are unassuming. Uh, man, sports guys, I'm, I'm, I'm almost going to DM like Fitz and uh, Anik. I know they follow me. I'm sure they've seen this, but like, give us some, uh, give us Asian guys a little more explosive. Give black guys a little more unassuming. You know what I'm saying? I think it'll actually balance out and be positive, uh, positive racism for both of us. God forbid, we could, we could. We could Use that, um, but yeah, solidarity. But like, but yeah, like. Uh, uh, so sure enough, Duraev underestimates him, goes and swings heavy on the unassuming Park, and um, I was losing my ass off. Surprise, surprise. Even when I'm winning, again, like I said on this on last week's podcast, even when I'm winning amongst winning streaks, seldom ever do I start off the night with a winning streak or winning of the first bet or doing well. To pay off the night, and you get to enjoy. Those are the best because you get to sit back and enjoy the main card, whether you have bets on it or not, and you just take that pressure off. Like, no, it always comes down to the end. So, that pressure, seeing a guy I genuinely like in Park, and then again, seeing all the check boxes, and not trying to be the annoying I called it guy, but it's just kind of driving me crazy in that in my own little twilight zone here, um, as as I become that person screaming into a wall. Um, yeah, I couldn't help but get excited over that one, you know. Um, and uh, and whatnot, and uh, you know, I don't know. And, and, and it's nothing serious or whatever, this or that. It's it's jokes like you know, why did we say going up to the Hamptons? It's never down to the Hamptons. Why is it always going down to Compton and never up to Compton? And it's just stuff I joke about, folks. Relax. Don't get don't get twisted in your feelings. Uh, Norma Dumont defeated Chelsea Chandler. Egg on my face. Fee unanimous decision. Uh, and again, this was an admitted like. This is uh, totally against Dan Tom going oh, against technique, veteran, proven products. Uh, you know, uh, exposing even more on WMMA, right? But I was like, you know, the physicality might just be enough. Uh, this looks like an overachiever versus an underachiever, which at that point I do think was still fair to say. But boy, was a egg on the face. Couldn't have been wrong. Uh, knew the the bet was dead in the water as soon as she did the uh, Blood Diamond like controller malfunction. Was that Blood Diamond or was it Jeremiah Wells? It was Jeremiah Wells versus Blood Diamond. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it was like it was like one of those deals. But uh, happy for Dumont betters. You got a great price there, and uh, you had to feel good about that because you you got lulls and you had to cash your bet. I at least just got like some genuine lulls, <laughs> um, and, and got to just like not have to sweat that I was gonna lose the bet. I just knew. <laughs> I think all Chandler betters at that point did. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, that was a big. That was a big. Uh, dummy move on me um, <clears throat> and it was a dummy move too because I put it not only did I play Chandler uh, 
or Chandler KO or whatever it was. But I put the Chandler KO in the uh, added exposure with the Chandler KO in the round robin, which I didn't need to. I was already on Chandler, right? Um, and I should have went with something like uh, Sajikov uh, via round two because Nazim Sajikov defeats Terrence McKinney via submission. Rear naked choke. Again, not, I mean, it didn't take a genius to be like he just has to survive round one and that's it, which is totally true. And I'm not shitting on that analysis. I had that same analysis. But I did specifically say... Um, don't be surprised if McKinney's able to get his back because Nazim will expose it in scrambles. And, but also, um, I do think Nazim, if he gets his back taken, he'll be able to survive, ride out the round, and then just finish in round two. So I was like, ah, can't bump my chest too hard because uh, my genius ass didn't pull it in the round robin. Melsic Bagdazar and Melsic Bags, uh, Melsic Baggins, the uh, Armenian uh, cousin of. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. God damn it. My Lord of the Rings isn't brushed up enough. Uh, all I know is just the, the only thing I know about the Hobbits is Gandalf tried to molest them all. And that's, that's what the series was about, right, Dan? What version did you watch, Dan? Uh, defeated Tucker. What? Sorry for anybody who now has that, like, the Tanner Bows uh, stuck in your head. If you now have the Tucker Lutz, I apologize. <coughs> um, yeah, I didn't watch too much of this fight. Uh, Victoria Dudakova. Um, defeated Stella Nunes via TKO elbow elbow dislocation. Oh, that was nasty. Um, even if I did end up, and remember, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, eat, I'll probably either be on Dudikova inside the distance, or uh, if there's a way to play her in a round robin, which there's not, because the place I round robin makes you choose, Parker. And I didn't want to choose, because if I would have chose, I would have chose Dudikova's sub, right? And uh, boy, did that not happen. There was a chance she could have gotten TKO, like I said in last week's podcast, uh, but I wasn't calling it by that. Um, but if you did play inside the distance, which was like plus 140, like, again, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. I was really close to pulling the trigger for that. It was only one unit I was going to lay. Uh, but I think just getting in my head, I'm like, Dan, you already have, you're already on not just two WMA fights, but like over 1.5 to 1.5 uh, exposure on both of them. Like, what are we doing, you know? And, yeah, I would have cash. I wouldn't have felt good about it. That's the game. Um, that's how volatile this game is. Uh, Melchizo Costa defeated Austin Lingo via unanimous decision. Um, that sucks that Lingo didn't have a Coach Safe in his corner, but I get that, man. Coach Safe is so busy. Um, this sport just never stops, and everybody feels it in their own beats and stuff. So uh, uh, Austin Lingo, I still felt like made a good account of, of him and his gym and his toughness, but uh, obviously Mikhail Costa had him just, just beat dead to rights. Like I said, just the more dynamic fighter. Evan Elder defeated Gennaro Valdez via unanimous decision. I didn't watch this fight. Uh, as at Maxim defeated Tyson Nam via split decision, 29 28, 28 29 29 28. Um, not trying to clarify over Spoke because I did pick Nam and I did play him by KO, but because I played him by KO, I had him in the round robin by KO. Again, double exposure. Like, could, could we have taken Chandler or Nam out of there, Dan? Did you have to have double exposure? Could we have had a Sajikov in there? Um, but, like, yeah, you know, uh, my stuff was dead in the water, so I didn't have anything um, to uh, uh, investment, too much investment, right? But, again, it's just the typical thing. Um, what what was Nam doing? He was countering and working the body and legs. And even though Asmat was working the body, he got credit for it, as he should have, because his body work was actually more effective. He was using kicks uh, more than Nam was more than just, like, doing the uh, right cross level changes, which was good and helped set up his right hand over the top. Um, but Asmat, I don't know if it's cardio issues, but he got away from the kicks, which was really... Um, but he's young, so, you know, these are, these are fixable things. The cardio thing I do want to watch, hopefully he's not, like, as a beat, you know, or something like that. Uh, he is a tall, rangy kid for the division. 
<clears throat> and he's young, so like, does that get exacerbated as he gets older and continues to make the cut? Um, but yeah, uh, no, no robbery or anything. You know me, I don't cry that. But like, uh, me and and people that I respect who know striking pretty well uh, thought it should go for Nam. And again, when you debase someone's leg kicks or even if you know you're doing the sidekick to the body, but you're able to really like debase, it should score for something. It's not it shouldn't score more than a clean shot to the head or something, per se. But these need to be getting scored. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really clear that was that. Alex Munoz defeated Carl Deaton. Didn't see that. Uh, Aline Perez defeated Ashley Evan Smith. Did not see that. Okay, 24 minutes and recap. Okay, I'm gonna get to you, chat, and then we will get to this breakdown. As per usual. Um, da -da -da -dun. <clears throat> James Kendrick, I only complain about the nonsense that UFC pulls. You are nice enough to give us your time, so even if I disagree, I can give you your respect. Oh, thank you, James Kendrick. I never ask you guys to agree with me. Um, but I uh, appreciate the respect. Um, I don't know if I deserve it all the time, but I definitely appreciate that. And you, Rio Susan Truesdale, another guy I appreciate. Dan, can we get a... Thundercats, oh, thunder, thunder, eye of, eye of Vendera, give me sight beyond sight. Uh, and it's very homoerotic, right, because the, the, Jesus Christ, I do enough jerk-off motions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm an 80s kid, you know, uh, 80s cartoons all, all day. Ghost Phantom, body punches and kicks actually tire and hurt people and leads to setting up more powerful stuff to the head. Very true, just annoying, judges don't value that. Yep, even, like, watching, like, older, like, Robbie Lawler, Lawler stuff for this thing I'm working on and, like, older MMA, like, the better strikers that Robbie Lawler face. Like, even back then when body work's not in, as uncommon, like, you just see it so much when you actually go look. You're like, oh, yeah, that actually set up the finish. Um, Mark Fellow, speaking of canines, UC 293 is currently looking like a dog's breakfast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I guess that means bad, but I will say, pushing on to UFC uh Vegas, I love the 80s cartoons too. Yeah, you have, you have great taste for yourselves in Truesdale. Uh, I will say UFC Vegas 77, UFC Fight Night, or not UFC Vegas 77, Jesus. UFC London, UFC Aspinall, Tybor, UFC Aspinall, baby, uh, versus Tibur, Tibur, uh, UFC Fight Night 224. Uh, take your pick on the title. Um, 25, probably 25 there. Uh, we're going to be breaking that down, uh, starting right meow. From uh, top to bottom, gonna get the odds uh, pulled up. Um, yeah, you said looks like a dog's breakfast, Mark. I guess that's that's not a comedy. Let me pull it. actually it's probably odds on some of those fights. I imagine, so I can at least see what the uh, no nah, no. Nah. Um, but yeah, I will say it looks like Dog City on this card to where it's like, dude, I feel I I, I feel like I at least half my picks are dogs or like dog leans, folks. So don't go jumping the gun because I'm still in the process of sorting like. I might have just outsorted a dog that I really like, and I just don't have enough ball to pick, but that's because there's so many dogs on here. Don't force your shots, in other words. We'll get to that fight um, a few down on the main card. We're, of course, going to stop start from top to bottom as per usual, and again, if you're listening in the future, 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 you can, of course, fast forward to the end, and I recap my picks and plays from top to bottom. Uh, if you want to listen less, which I don't blame yeah, we're going to pull up the odds here. Why do you guys have it listed as UFC 292 best fight odds? You guys don't even care anymore. Uh, we got uh, Tom Aspinall, Tom Aspinall, baby, uh, minus 500. Um, maybe he's coming back from his knees, been doing his squats. He said so. Maybe it is Tom Aspinall. You know, we'll see there. Uh, Jesus Christ, Dan. 
Marcin Timur Timur, he packs it in a different place. Plus 360 for the uh, barrel-chested and bellied man who uh, looks like he's coming uh, slimmer than ever, not just doing the thigh shots where he's like, look down here and note that belly, uh, which, again, I appreciate that as a man who's proud of his thighs and so proud of his midsection, at least at right meow. Um, actually, we're getting better, baby. This home gym's coming together really nicely. Uh, that's what I've been hard on work on, too. Uh, just out of speed bag busted and the replacement uh, denial but uh, yeah we're getting uh, we're getting some goodies going in there so maybe I'll be on my own Marasinti Buddha journey uh, but yeah uh, Tabora you know you know he's gonna come to fight um, he's a guy that will uh, unless you put him out or really uh, it, it essentially it comes down to counter-striking and, 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 and wrestling uh, wrestling is in being able to dictate the wrestling good enough there um, that's the common thread when you really go look at all his fights. You gotta have some decent counter striking, and or decent uh, di wrestling uh, advantages and dictation there to beat Marcin Tabura, who is really good when he's on top, like most big guys, but questionable on bottom. Really good chair sits, good feels like a smaller guy can back take. One of the few heavyweights that will take advantage of you turtling, but. When he is put on his back, he is not beyond turtling himself. Sometimes he'll go for a deep half variation, but the only time he's really used it well, uh, which is my favorite one, the underhook setup, was against Greg Hardy, I believe. So it's like, how much how much do you, stock do you want to put into that? Usually he kind of just athletes tries to athlete up uh, sloppily. Um, or underhooks, which can be bad against a guy like Tom Aspinall, who, although is athletic and agile... I believe has a rear naked choke on his record. Uh, more than competent. That's like the striker's non-grapplers choke. Usually when they see a, a submission on their record, it's like an early RNC against a not good guy. And usually that was, if you go watch the fight, they were getting outclassed. So the person was shooting, shooting, and they just shot themselves into a submission loss. It wasn't so much the striker having submission chops to show off or trying to show off submission chops. It's just what was literally given on a plate to them. Um... And I'm not saying Tabora is the one to give anything on a plate, much less on this level, even at heavyweight. You know, uh, not saying that. Um, but uh, I am saying that turtling against a guy like Tom Aspinall, really bad to do. Um, just great finishing instincts. He can just pound things out with strikes, too, from multiple positions. We've seen that, which makes it tricky on how you're going to play your Tom Aspinall propage, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, and uh, shout out to um, I'll get the actual thing. I think I will. It is all the grappling stuff. Uh, really good grappling analysts out there. You should be following. So this is I, I. I say I don't shouts enough. I do more shouts than most people. So, but I, I don't want to at least get it right. Uh, at Open Note Grapple, uh, my guy William there. He's he's an uh, actual uh, black belt who knows what the fuck he's talking about. Um, but uh, he was posting a clip uh, on like Tom Aspinall uh, against Volkov, and even though Volkov actually gets off up from one of these and Tom Aspinall but Tom Aspinall is actually able to finish it uh, it's a it's a it's it's it, it's a solid tool to stifle the uh, get up uh, usually underhook get ups can be stifled from guillotines and darce threats and stuff like that right uh, depending on the situation uh, if you're more maybe on a top half like the examples with the Volkov um, man snatching up that that, that uh, double wrist lock uh, Kimura um, not a bad option even if you don't want the submission or the transfer to a straight arm lock which Aspinall eventually gets. So again, uh, both those options Tabora uses to get up, not great. Um, Tabora, not the most explosive grappler, even though he's actually, I'd argue, his, because of his timing, 
his double legs in the open are more effective than his clinch takedowns, which are kind of just slop, sloppy and trudging. And if he's able to get this into a grind fest, those obviously could produce uh, dividends um, against a guy like Aspinall, who hasn't been out, you know, of uh, you know into round three in his career. Um, he's coming back from a knee injury and a layoff. Um, if you go back earlier in his career, win or lose, uh, some of those fights, uh, he actually some of the trouble that he got into. You could look at where things started sloping. Dog, sorry, the camera's shaking. Brownie's scratching herself. She lays against the desk. Uh, he played a bit on bottom too. So again, he's not impervious to this criticism on Tabora slash the generalization, um, which I don't mean offensively, but even like guys like DC will say it's why he loved going up to heavyweight. Um, they're just they're bad off their backs. They're bad balancing. Um, so it's a different game. So kind of like my Curtis Blades pick, which we didn't get to see. I picked Aspinall in that spot, but I actually picked Aspinall not even so much by knockout. I actually picked him by submission. And regardless if you got a submission or a TKO, I picked him to do it on the ground to kind of get the jump on Blades because Blades, as aggressive, as credentialed, as good when he wants to be as a wrestler, he is. And I love Blades. When you actually went to look at, you know, and again, this could have been different, you know, uh, who knows what he's been training because uh, the sample sizes were spotty as far as the more relevant ones go. But, you know, some suspect, you know, behavior that maybe a jiu-jitsu guy could get uh, take advantage of. Because, again, who's really trying to take Blades down? Who is taking Blades down? And if those two checkboxes that are already rare happens, who is good enough to capitalize for the third checkbox, right? Uh, Aspinall could fit that bill. I know he's an old-school jiu-jitsu guy from his dad, and there's great fundamentals there, great game in, in, in store um, that we kind of touched on. But his wrestling's not too shabby either, you know? he Again... The problem with Taspinall in general is, is sample size, sample size, sample size. It's small, small, small. So I'm talking about a big guy here, small sample size, right? Easy, folks. Um, hey, Benji boy. Um, but yeah, he does look like he's got a decent level-changing double and can get after it when he needs to, and it looks more than enough to take down Tabora, especially against the fence, which is a place where Tabora, in the big cage or the small cage, will put himself, which is weird because if you look at not just him being taken down, but more so him being finished, him having trouble in fights. Um, it's whenever his back's to the cage, yet he has this fast and loose approach where, like, it's not hard to put his back to the cage at all. Even even my guy, who's... Oh, they cut him. Blagoy! Blagoy! I like my... Even off, man. Blagoy boy. Uh, even Blagoy, like, was able to, like, push his back to the fence multiple times. And Blagoy, like... He's not exactly urgent about things, you know? <laughs> doing anything but going I, I get that when I get there and he still like got him to the cage when, whenever he like was like I think I stepped forth now uh, and like there you know there Tabor's back would go to the cage um, obviously that's where a lot of Aspinall's finishes come from um, whether again he's finishing takedowns finishing people with strikes and flurries uh, finishing them with submissions right the Orlovsky fight and, uh, and, and or, or, you know, from clinch positions, which even on his finish in the open, which was against Sergei Spivak, um, that was in a clinch position. So it was in the open technically, but it was off this uh, knee counterbalance combo that Aspinall does. Maybe a better counterpuncher. You know what I talk about, like with the Jacoby versus the uh, Azamat, and we've seen this dynamic I've been picking up on. Uh, a lot of the James Krause and a lot of the uh, now um, Montoya guys. Uh, They've got that kind of lifting knee style, right? That lifting knee style bit. And that can get you, you know, kind of pop mid-knee. We've, we've seen it with guys like uh, Charles Oliveira as well, right? You know, the when you, you lift the knee, you kind of boom. You're, you're on the one leg for a second. 
um, timed on a counter guy, southpaw counter guy, you know, that can be uh, that can be problematic. And Aspinall seems to have a real natural feel for counters, even though again he's not beyond, like I just said, being countered himself. Uh, and that's the checklist: wrestling and, and counters. And when you know, even though it's hard, Spivak took that fight on like what was it, like seven days' notice or something before Spivak's run. Um, he does attempt a couple of takedowns. It's probably some of the most relevant sample size we have. But I do like uh, Aspinall's sensibilities there, where he's kind of hoisting, where his head's at, where his hands, his hips, uh, his positioning is. We're definitely going to see it tested here. But I will say, even though there are the flags in the elephant in the room of the injury, uh, I, I do got to say that uh, um, you wonder, like, sometimes guys come back also better because, you know, like Aspinall said, this was something that he needed to work on for a while. It was ready to go. It was hindering him. He wasn't able to do, you know, certain road work, so his cardio wasn't as good. He wasn't as mobile, which is crazy because he was already fast and agile than the large part of his contemporaries on paper and otherwise, I test whatever you want to say. And if that was Aspinall compromised, you know, what is he like now? He's still a young guy in general as well as heavyweight standards. And like put it this way, like, and I, I know what Aspinall means by it makes you focus on things more. It, unfortunately in life, we all can relate. This is a human nature thing. We need <clears throat> bad things sometimes to happen to learn, to have growth, right? Uh professionally, family, relation, whatever you want to compare it to, it fits. Um, even more of a subsect, you know, comp you know, uh, fitting in a schlub like me, right, life. Um, when I had my knee injuries and to do physical therapy, it really opened my eyes when I popped my knees, uh, 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 my right one in particular. Um, I had to do physical therapy, and uh, the physical therapy taught me a lot of things about my body, and I was more martial artist and uh, old school training, you know, coming from traditional martial arts. And then I, I got into MMA during a more old school time where there was a lot of sparring, right? Or if you're grappling, this was rolling, right? And very hard times, hard hard code. Really talented room, but t t t got injured for good reason. Got my ass kicked for good reason, right? And uh, still do. Um, but. Uh, uh, but 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 things are, are are smarter these days. And after even someone like me, a schlub like myself, um, it taught me that. So now then I went to you know get into you know shout out to my guy Gil Gardado does excellent strength and conditioning programs over at Shrinkator. Also coaches MMA as well. Uh, former fighter beat uh, Giga Chikadze. Um, Gil's the man. Uh, you know taking Gil's classes and a guy who's the furthest thing from an athlete you're looking at right here, folks, just feeling that difference of, like, explosivity, even in my 30s, early 30s, feeling this difference, like, why did I wait this long to lift weights um, and do it the smart way, you know? I was thinking, of that, oh, I don't want to be beach butt, I don't want to be slow, I'm trying to cut weight, I want to be slimmer. Like, no, no, I want to be strong and healthy. And, uh, oh, Benji boy, he's coughing, man. It's okay, buddy. No. Oh. Okay, coming out. Okay, good. That's a good sign, at least. Just got your medicine, buddy. Hopefully it kicks in. This is the worst of it. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, you know, it, as much as there's negative talk, right, like, he could come back way better, which means maybe more wrestling, which means maybe better cardio. Uh, that being said, I'm spending too much time talking about this fight. Ultimately, uh, I, I think he's going to do it in the first round, even though, you know me, I'm more of a cheeky second-round guy. Um, 
uh, I just laid the groundwork for why he could facilitate a round two or round three finish aside from Marchine's durability. That being said, not just doing the old Sherdog breakdown or you know uh, looking at the stats breakdown to see when Marchine gets finished and you notice it's, it's mainly early in fights minus the, the old Derek Lewis comeback. Also against the fence, mind you. Uh, even though he had positive position against the fence, it was in a, just a wild, quick little scramble there. Um, outside of that, you know, they tend to happen early, and even when he doesn't get finished, if you actually go back and watch the tape, uh, you'll see Mar Marcin uh, actually gets off to very slow starts, and he often loses round one. It's really normal. It's just, can he survive and can he take over has been the big keys, right? And I've cashed on Marcin doing that with, like, uh, Greg Hardy, which was a great one, and and so forth and I've also been burned by Marcin right like because he you know I thought maybe he could get out of there in round one Romanoff but when Romanoff wasn't able to get him out of there and that should have still gotten a push with a draw right um I already knew the bet was 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 pretty much lost unless he got the draw because uh uh Marcin was going to come back that was more the bet there for when I took Romanoff um to do it in round one um and again he's but he's having a much better guy who like if if Aspinall gets to the positions that Romanoff was able to get to uh, which, first of all, Aspinall usually hurts guys before he gets to those positions, A. And even if he didn't, he got to him soberly, uh, somewhat soberly like Romanoff did. Um, Aspinall would have finished him. And Romanoff still like almost like attritively finished him, but he just gassed out harder. And uh, Marcin's experience allowed him to recover, get back into the fight. And uh, the uh, by the second round, between it being a heavyweight fight and at elevation, it was just in, it was in simmer territory. The fight was temperature was never going to go back up again. So as long as uh, Marcin could cruise, he had it, and he did, right? Um, so yeah, I'm actually going to go away from the cheekiness, even though I, and, and as an analyst, forget as a better even, I want this fight to go longer. I want to see more of Tabor, uh, of Aspinall. I've seen enough of Tabor, believe me. Um, I want to see more of Aspinall, baby. <laughs> all, baby. Uh, no, but seriously, I want to see more of Aspinall here, and uh, but I, I don't think we're going to see it. Um even Tabora said himself, like, I know you, you can't really take too much from the, uh, the guy speaks really good English, but you can't really take too much from these uh, interviews, but he was just like, uh, the focus is to make sure we're just, you know, to get him tired, because I was like, you want to get him tired, that's the key, right? He's like, well, to get him tired, I got to fight at a fast pace, so to make sure that, I got to make sure I'm on from the beginning. And to me, that was like, uh, there was a lot of quiet truth in that words, because I think he knows that he's he's got a trouble with slow starts. And he did the classic thing where they're like, uh, you know, if a fighter, you know, that you could tell they want to do some grappling and they don't want to strike or vice versa or both, or, you know, um, uh, they'll do the cheeky, oh, we'll see, you know, I'm ready for this fight to go everywhere. Of course I'm ready to grapple. Um, he was kind of doing that. And I think even though he's a black belt and he's confident in his grappling, it's a big crux of his game. I think he even knows Tom Aspinall is a... Uh, is dangerous there, and I think it was him. I know Paul Paul Craig said this as well, but I believe Tabor also used the words distance management, and I don't think you're going to get that against Aspinall. He's not going to let you. And Tabor, with his weird, like I posted that clip, like what is he doing with his left hand? Like I, I went and actually looked at like Paula Abdul videos to like in sync videos because I can't get the. It's like this. Like, the hand goes left to right. Like it's like some kind of like dance move. Like last time they'll be in like a squat with the hand on the hip. They're like. And Tabora does it with his left hand only. He'll be fighting and he'll just be like, like, he can't decide. Like, he has his hand here to block, but he just doesn't really use it. This hand is just like, it looks like a puppeteer. It's like there's a string on his wrist and there's like a, an invisible puppeteer in the octagon. Like, literally, 
turn on any Tabora footage, and this this applies. It looks like there's a string on his left wrist, and it's being held up by a puppeteer, and then the rest of his body is just allowed to like have a jam session and, and be Tabora and strike. It's just so awkward, and his hands just like <laughs> it's, it's fucking hilarious. I just posted a clip of it as I uh, as I as I as I blurred my glasses probably for the rest of the show just now. I'm getting out of hand with that uh, thing. But yeah, um, that also opens him up to some right hands, and Tom Aspinall has a mean right hand. So TKO could certainly happen, um, but I ended up uh, I ended up picking him to do it by submission. I didn't play sub straight, but here's what I did do. I just played. It's not really a lot, and you know you don't want to invest too much. You're chasing to really profit. What really? That being said. I can live with under 1.5 units exposure on Tom Aspinall, and I did it by doing 1.25 units on round one at plus 100, and then I also put just 0 .20, 0 units, 20 ducats, on round one sub plus 500. So um, we either profit over a unit if he as long as he wins in round one, we profit over a unit, and if he does it by sub, um, I think we get over a we get over a two and a quarter or something something like that two and a quarter profit so whatever that's what i got for that one uh molly mahan molly mahan come on bradley hello sorry i had to torment my guy bradley who is uh who uh anytime uh he uh, i love the accent by the way but anytime my guy brad shout out to brad's chuck here's molly speak he cannot produce a boner for like a week so uh molly mccann minus 225 <laughs> Julija Storyalenko plus uh, 175. Yeah, I think there should be a, a boner-killing Olympics accent. So there's, there's sexy accents, and there should be like boner-killing ones. You just get like a, like a Boston chick, you get like a Chicago girl, get like a get like a Liverpudly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love. I love. Sorry, my 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 Chicago and Boston homies. I'm sorry. <laughs> that Rogan thing. I know. God, I'm quoting that, but it's just like a, you're gonna tell your friends. Sorry. <laughs> um, Jesus. Um, yeah, uh, back to the breakdown. Wow. Uh, Julija Storyalenko come down a flyweight for the first time. Um, tricky. She says, you know, she's been making the weight easily, although, like, she had that fight pulled because she passed out, had trouble making the weight prior. Um, honestly, she looks drained when I looked at her so at her socials. She looked like she, she, she sucked and run down. She sounded very healthy at the press conference. I guess we'll have to see. Uh, she knows her body better than me, obviously. Uh, but you know, I gotta speculate from the outside the best I can. That's that's my our thing. If we're trying to gauge these things and prognosticate, pick or play, right? Um, and uh, yeah, she seems primarily armbar or bust when you look at her record. Um, I compared her to like Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, uh, late '90s Stone Cold Steve Austin, in the sense of like she literally has the same amount of moves. Like I, I used to like joke like, I'm like how is this guy Stone Cold? I, like that wasn't even a Stone Cold hater, but I was like just amazed like how this guy is so popular as a wrestler because you know of course of course Dan Tom you know was a fan of technical wrestlers you know uh, you know like, like like the Owen Hart's and stuff. Um, like look at this guy Steve Austin. This guy's like he's got punch, kick, stunner. Uh, occasionally he does the weird like uh, and then he falls. So it's like it's almost like the Bam Bam Bigelow thing where he just faints and headbutts. But like Stone Cold will just be like, like he's like the the, the the you know the doofus friend who's like you guys are all going off the, the cannonball off the board. And the next person's like jackknife. And then you also have the friend who wants to do something stupid and they just they don't think it through and they get up. They're like 
Did he just fall? Like that was Stone Cold, one of his one of his things. <laughs> or sometimes he would get up to the second rope on the inside of the ring from the inside of the ring because he couldn't climb up to the top. I'm not even a big wrestling fan, folks. This isn't a normal thing, so relax. If you hate pro wrestling talk, but um, <laughs> but the fact was Stone Cold could make hay with the moves that he had. Angelina Storyolenko is the same thing. She's got her punch, which is the only decent punch she seems to have is a check left hook from Orthodox. And she's got her kick, which she's actually got like a, a decent strong kick, even though she usually throws it naked. She doesn't throw as much as she should. Um, sometimes to the body, mainly to the head from the right side. And that's about it. She's uh, Her takedown, she's got one good takedown, which is oddly enough, again, despite like, looking like a judo girl and like, you know, uh, WMA, head and arms, all that... Like you look at her takedowns, like a lot of them, like they're actually not that great from the clinch. Like she actually has like a decent timing on this one takedown where she draws people in. She goes for a double and she immediately passes the same side every time. She goes heavy on the hips and heads, and then uh, throws the uh, legs to the opposing side. Um, she kind of has it hardwired in. You know, Weidman, he had obviously Weidman had much more diverse takedown ability than Julie Jostorielenko, but that wiring to immediately pass like that it reminds me of Weidman's snatch singles. He had a weird snatch single where he wouldn't even snatch the single; he would grab the single and then just shoot his ass and hips to the other side and go like uh, clockwise to knock you over, kind of like an Eduardo Tellez turtle sweep. It was like this weird thing. Like I watched the Vitor fight, uh, his title fight, uh, title defense against Vitor and stuff. There's a really good example of it there. Um, Jalija has that move hardwired. And once she passes to that side, it's the same exact side where she sets up all her arm bars from. Now, it's the most basic setup where somebody turns in and you kind of overhook over the tricep and you allow them to sit up into you and you crank for a Kimura into the arm bar kind of a combo. Um, she has other setups as well, but here's how her game falls apart. She is so limited moves and so layer one. Even within grappling, even within grappling, when she's getting the position slash surrounding the positions that she finishes and thrives in, she gets lost in the layer. She's got some cool setups that she does, but like that Chelsea Chandler setup that she had, she shouldn't have lost that that from, from Mal. That was just really bad. But you look at it, not just from there, like in all parts of her game, when things start going in layers, when ex exchanges, whether they're on the floor and the feet start getting extended, um, she really falls apart. She takes damage poorly, wears it poorly. Uh, whereas McCann, you know, um, aside from like getting headbutt from G on Kim, uh, seldom do you really see her hurt. It's obviously out grappling McCann, bigger girl, gets submission wins. I guess I could see why money is coming in on Storyorenko for that reason. Although it kind of surprises me, just because even when logic supports it, arguably even more than it, I feel it should support it coming in for Storyorenko now. Usually these things matter not when you're talking about English fighters, especially English fighters on home soil, popular English fighters on home soil. We know the English love to back their fighters at the betting window. Um, this can extend over to Ireland as well, but the English, uh, the, the stereotype, they own that one pretty hard in boxing as well as MMA. So that, on multiple levels, surprises me. But again, it's WMMA. It's uh, underdog WMMA, right? I know I look like an idiot for taking one last week, and I was, you know, I don't know if I look like a genius. I definitely don't think I was a genius for the Shitara pick. But, you know, I didn't look as bad for that one. Sure, I got that one right, I guess. But the point is, you know, you can you can look like a real dummy on these ones too. Um, not that I, that's scaring me off. I feel very confident about McCann. Uh, my early leans was McCann two and three, so I played that at what numbers did I get it at? Oh crap. Um, I apologize. Let me see here. Uh, let me log into my uh, 
Schmemgemem. They're not paying me. Because um, that's the house that I played it in. Oh, you bastards. By the way, anybody who has Schmemgemem, is it like a... It's like ESPN where it never works on the first time. It has like a loading error or something. Every time. I get that every time I try to log into Schmemgemem. Where the dude uh, that looks like Jamie Foxx tells me to get you shit. That's not what he says, Dan. Sorry. <laughs> um, I got McCann round two plus six fifty and plus one thousand, which is better than the other house I play on. Um, I only put point seventeen use on these ones. Um, I don't know if I'll make it to to. I've been trying to make it more to a to a, a book I like out here to, to to play and mimic a lot of these plays for fun. I don't know if I will, but if I do, I actually tend to go a little bigger in person. If I play like point seventeen U uh, from my untracked, I'll do like point three three U if I'm doing cash over table. Uh, this is of course online officially tracked slash. Uh, yeah, the only thing untracked ever is uh, tickets, and then I'll usually post those win or lose. You guys know, moi. Um, but yeah, I played McCann both those rounds, and I was going to jump on TKO as well. But again, exposure, exposure, exposure. We can do TKO in a round robin because they make us choose Parker uh, on said app where I round robin, but on not on said app. Schmemgm and another one, um, met my mime. Um, um, Beat on mimes. Uh, Jesus Christ, Dan. That was a visual. Um, I took the uh, I, under there. I pulled off the TKO and I played the under. You know, you can still find it for better prices toward its closer to its opener at minus 138. But you know me, playable chalk, and that I like to play chalk. Uh, for me, is minus 150 or under, whether we're talking about money lines or in this case, totals, which I don't love. I don't necessarily love unders, but this does cover Stoliarenko. Uh, sub submissions, early subs for the first half of the fight, particularly in round one. And again, uh, she takes damage really bad. McCann, much better than giving credit for. She really moves well. Takedowns could get her in trouble. But I'm impressed how, 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 how well and her awareness in certain positions. I know she just got ran over by Aaron Blanchfield, but I don't think that ages too badly. Again, it's always been Molly McCann's kryptonite. Molly McCann doesn't exactly have the highest ceiling. Uh, the odds reflected that uh, as far as that fight, that was what was going to happen every time, right? So uh, I don't know how much we uh, go against Molly McCann on that one. You know, um, how much did it mess with her? You know, uh, I don't look at it as a negative. You guys know I'm, uh, I'm more open than I, I should be, but I'm also very obviously was also open. Uh, at least supportive for the fighters, and we'll talk about some of them who have talked about some of their mental and mindsets uh, who have struggled with that, because guess what? They are human beings, like we all are, as we have all struggled, whether we want to admit it or not. Some to differing degrees, everybody deals with things differently, right? So I guess the question is, how does Molly McCann deal with it? Um, you know, she's been through the mental pitfalls before. She's picked herself up before as well, right? And she's went on winning streaks before, but now... Not terrible layoff November of last year, but she started her own business, making some really good-looking sub sandwiches, by the way. Like, hey, your boy here was a Subway sandwich artist back in the day. Uh, like Back when 9-11 happened, I was making uh, Subway sandwiches a uh, couple doors down from my karate studio to make extra money because, uh, you know, it's probably the best I could do is work for the place. I, I definitely stole enough money from the place. Uh, sorry, Jim. Uh, not literally, but, like, uh, they didn't do inventory. The only thing they did Subway back in the day, they did inventory on their bread. And there's my karate school, Subway, and the same strip mall. And, like, a Rayleigh's grocery store. I don't know if they still have those. Uh, they're not here anymore. 
but they would sell these 99 cent giant French breads. So what we would do is instead of paying like, you know, six bucks for a sub sandwich or whatever it was, I'm sure it's like fucking $14 now. Tell us more, old Grandpa Dan. Uh, but yeah, we'd get these giant French, giant French breads and just like fucking, we made friends, uh, homies, uh, Alfie and other homies that worked there. It's like, hey, loaded up with like, just stupid stuff like bacon, chicken breast, meatballs, cheese, like just stupid stuff when I had the metabolism to eat all this shit. And, uh, yeah, and then I'd take that and just, like, when you're a kid, you could eat that and not be, like, down for the count, like, now where I need a nap after eating healthy, even, if I just eat dinner, right? Uh, but back then, I could probably eat, like, half of that giant sandwich and then go train and then take the other half home and then eat it at the end of the trading all day uh, karate back in my, my, my karate days. But, uh, yeah, I got love for the sub-sandwich artists there and, but, uh, and love for those who struggle. But I do wonder... You know where where McCann's mindset is, both in her career and otherwise. That could be a factor. Hopefully, the undercovers for that. If it goes to the decision, we're in trouble. I don't really want to parlay. This is not a card I want to parlay. Already exposed enough on McCann uh, or on this fight, I should say. Um, just under two units because I did 1.5 unit on the minus 150 for a unit return, and again, the 2.17 use for 0.34 use, so 1.84 total exposure on this fight. 0.34 exposure on McCann in particular. Hopefully we can get a mixture of both those and again uh, collect over um, over 2.5, over 2.5 units and change on the co-main as well. That would be cool, bro. Uh, next fight, Nathaniel Wood minus 225. Andre Feely plus 175. Uh, love both these guys. Battle the mindsets here. Um, I did bio and interviews and social media and uh, some Southpaw stuff that I was trying to get out before. It's a small Southpaw report, thankfully. I thought I could do it before the podcast. I was wrong. Um, I'll get to more of that in the next fight. Uh, but this one has everything but the tape. So, um, spoiler alert, having a hard time with the pick for this one because uh, I'm not done with it yet. So I'm not going to mislead you guys. Check me at Dan Tom MMA as you see here on the screen. Creepy little thumbs up. Poke, poke, poke. Uh, at Dan Tom MMA on, on Twitter while it's still around. Um, yeah, um, for, my, for my picks on Fight Day, uh, quick picks and prognostications on Fight Day, MMAJunkie.com. Um, and we'll see if it makes my plays or if there's anything here. Uh, again, I think dogs are live almost everywhere. I know I was pretty heavy on the favorites on the first two to start, but I pretty much think there's a case for the dog in almost like every fight going forward. And uh, technically, you can always say that with MMA, but honestly, like... I mean, my Toutman, whether or not, I feel like half my picks are going to be at least dogs and almost all my picks on Toutmaster, which I usually keep my Toutmaster exactly mirroring. Um, to be honest, anytime I've not mirrored my picks, I don't think I've gotten literally a single pick right. So that only reinforces me to get the more accurate count. But this is a this is a card where I just feel like the dogs are so live. And you got Nathaniel Wood. He's beefing with another favorite who's going against a live dog further down the card, Lerone Murphy. And you got to wonder where their concentration at is there. Um, but you also have just the opposing mindsets. Now, I didn't know this about Nathaniel Wood. It makes me like him even more. Uh, I guess he struggles with OCD, and I did not know that. And he was talking about how that can help you in training. And uh, even though consistency, clearly, just by looking at me, obviously. But no, those who know me, obviously, too, uh, for real. Consistency has been a, a hard thing for many reasons many legitimate reasons but but still if i'm just being honest with myself excuses aside it's been consistency that being said 
Um, somebody who has OCD as part of the neurological umbrella of Tourette's, you know, anxiety, depression, all these fun stuff. OCD is really, you know, again, it's not Tourette's so much. It's the comorbidities that really, you know, uh, are the real killers. And um, OCD can be classified as that, man. It's a real, can be real detrimental. And uh, again, I tried to make too many excuses or this or that. Um, I'm really open to a fault because, uh, you know, people use that uh, uh against me and uh, I'm glad that's why I'm glad more fighters are doing it because you know people are less apt to do it against fighters um, it, it uh, in, a, in a perfect world they could keep the same energy to all human beings because that's what we are it shouldn't matter if you're a fighter or not but that's not the case uh, that being said props to fighters like Wood who talk about that it is difficult you know um, I legit do have a lot of things that I am balancing that the most good best multitasker smart chattest a plus in every category person the, this person does not exist but you put them in in, in uh, my shoes for the last uh, f you know four years in different circumstances yeah you're gonna I'm more than willing to bet and more than willing the odds are gonna reflect like you're you're gonna have some issues you're gonna have some issues it's not gonna be easy you know and we all have our own versions of that I'm not special here I'm just saying um but aside from that stuff, honestly, a lot of it uh, to why like I'm like late for the show is what I was gonna lead to is like is OCD stuff. To be honest, you know, it's weird. It's really hard to explain. You just feel like you can't do something until you get something done. You know, like I can't. You know, um, I'll start like cutting something. You're like, oh, this looks crooked, and like you just ah. Oh. And then whether you do it right or God forbid, especially if you do it wrong, and then you're like you're trying to fix it. And even if you do it right, you're just like you say, oh, then I noticed this, and then you're just on this whole sidetracked quest or like you need to be like with you know hair it could be something else too like uh i'll notice oh that's dirty i'm like ah but that's dirty but that sits right under this where dust will fall right under that and i haven't cleaned that in a minute so if i'm gonna finish cleaning this it's gonna be all for naught if i don't clean that well let me just clean that let me work top down because dust falls downward and that way it's not at least in vain and now all of a sudden that one decision to go and do a spot clean or just something that was bothering you that just caught your attention just led to a whole chain reaction of things. Well, where's all this dirt and dander coming from? My dog. Like, a, oh shit, it's been a, a week since I brushed my dogs. Well, I gotta brush my dogs, and then you know, call. And you're like, what was I doing? Oh, you're getting distracted from what you're doing, and little do you know, you're, you're you're trying to find what you were doing, and you're like, oh, I'm distracted from what I'm doing. What I'm doing, I shouldn't even been doing it in the first place. But between OCD being what it is, and and getting distracted, yeah, it could be a mess. I know, sounds nuts. It's a reality for people. It's just a small uh, smidget. So, shouts to Nathaniel Wood. You know, he's, so he's probably, I'm guessing, more of a fighter. And whether you're OCD or not, you know, I remember Coach Neil Melanson talking to me about this, where, like, um, talking about, like, the challenges of coaching Vitor prior to his fight with Anderson back in the day and was like, you know, Vitor is more of a guy. He had to, I'm not saying Vitor is OCD or anything. Who knows? Like, there's plenty of you guys who are probably undiagnosed, by the way. It's like, it's, it's, it's a common thing. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, like, um, you know, Vitor is definitely more of a fighter who had to have his camp in order. He had to have it exactly a certain way, right? Um, and Neil was a very hard trainer guy, and that didn't really jive with Vitor. He had to, he had to be more of a less old school, more of which is crazy because Vitor, big, tough, crazy, you know, crazy dude from old school era. But you had to, you had to baby him more, you had to give him more confidence. That's why I always said like the steroids. It's not so much that I went with that argument, like, oh, the TRT didn't didn't teach him how to throw that spin kick. I was more of the weird argument of, like, 
Obviously, there was physical effects. I'm not saying that there wasn't, but I would still argue, despite as crazy as TRT Vitor was, it was the confidence that the steroids gave him that was the biggest benefit. And that's what it is for a lot of people, to be honest. And a lot of people say that. It's not a crazy statement, um, despite what the eye test and the obvious tell us. And, uh, yeah, some fighters are like that, whereas some fighters enter Andre Feely, plus 175 to Nathaniel Woods, minus 225. Much more carefree, right? Uh, that carefree attitude, like, uh, which totally seems like it. Like, Andre Feely is like every other guitar player I've had in one of my bands, right? Just like, oh, what's up, bro? Oh, yeah, I'm so, I came up late. Oh, sorry, man. I didn't mean, like, I'm not saying Andre's late, though. I'm, again, if I was a betting man, I'm guessing maybe he's probably better that as he's gotten older, but I'm guessing he was probably a late guy, you know, like, I just drift, like, oh, space, I'm into this. Oh, this is so cool. And, oh, and you get him talking and then you know he gets kind of distracted from the point you know you kind of even hear it in interviews like he's like yeah I'm kind of bored about talking about the fight stuff but like shout out to my guy Aaron Bronstead or TSN MMA show by the way really really good good show he's got a really good recap um, uh, made some good points by the way in his recap no 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 I'm not just talking about like when he mentioned me I'm not even talking about that I forget one of the fights Aaron has a really good point. Go listen to the TSMMA show. But you also hear that Feely interview and Feely, like, you know, he's, like, talking about music and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I like where Feely's at, you know. And, again, um, even though that's not my attitude, Feely touches on a lot of, because he's been on his own psychological journey, whether you're a carefree guy. Even carefree people, they're not prone to being depressed or, you know, uh, hating on themselves too much, which is something like I, you know, self-deprecating Dan. I, I, I'm so used to making jokes about myself, just kind of growing up for a lot of reasons, right? You know, uh, defense mechanism, all these things. Like, you, you you forget, like, oh, yeah, it sounds hippy-dippy, but, like, you hear Ophelia talking about, oh, yeah, learn to love yourself, and it looks so true. So true, something that I've had to really remind myself of lately as well. So, again, like, I, I like these guys already as fighters, as personalities. Hearing this makes me only endearing, makes me not want to see a loser here. I'm going to let the analysis, and, again, Sorry, I don't have more of that for you here, but I'm going to go watch uh, their last few fights and see what jumps out to me. And as that, I usually do. That's always the process, folks. I don't know why that's a surprise. Um, that will decide the fights because, again, that's why it has to. He's, the personal stuff, it's too crazy, you know? Part of me wants to root for Wood, but he's got all this pressure at home, whereas Feely's coming in. No stress. He's citing the late career fighters like he should be, like the Jim Millers of the world. You know, he's been fighting for a while. Uh, he's been through wars. He's a bigger guy who... You know, even though he's got his diet and strength and conditioning in order and works hard, can't imagine it's easy making the weight. That being said, he is 33 still. You know, he's still right in that, that thing. He's got a great frame for the division. I think Feely's an incredibly live dog to where uh, even if I do end up picking Nathaniel Wood, unless there's something that I'm seeing, like uh, Feely's underrated double leg getting him in trouble for Nathaniel's underrated bravo and grappling in front chokes or something like that, like unless there's some weird thing like that, which... Uh, even though that is somewhat of a thing you could maybe argue, I don't think I'm going to see that enough to, to argue that, obviously. Uh, I feel like this is definitely a dog or pass spot um, here. Definitely. Um, you know, uh, five inches of reach and height. Not that that always matters, but again, you know, five six. like, hey, Volkanovski's 5'6", folks. You know, who says 5'6 is too small for featherweight? Nathaniel Wood's really well-rounded, a really hard worker, great coach, and Brad Pickett. Um... Yeah, I don't even going to tell you which way I'm going to lean in that fight. You know what I'm saying? But it does feel like dog or pass. Uh, next fight, um, even though it's not confident, I actually did all the work on this one and have a pick for it. Andre Muniz, minus 225. Paul Craig, Craig, plus 185. Nothing can outrun a great Scotsman. 
Um, yeah, uh, you guys know I'm a big fan of Muniz, and uh, he lost. He looked bad. Definitely not denying that. Definitely scaring me off, regardless of what my pick is for this fight. Not disagreeing with that. Definitely think it's enough of a... Even though you could argue it's not as bad as it seemed, if you go back and look at the fight, you look at certain things, it just, it just didn't... It just didn't make, make make confidence, and even if even if you're um, high on Brendan Allen, which I don't blame you for being, uh, he's definitely hitting his peak, and maybe you'll get a good number on him when he gets the t you know tougher things. He's a guy that I have been burnt picking against. I don't want to pick against, uh, make a habit of, but you know, um, there's different takes out there on Brendan Allen. But let's just say, and I like Brendan Allen by the way. I root for that guy. But like, uh, let's just say you're really high on him. Even even then, it's still. Uh, not a great look for Muniz on some of those spots, you know. Um, he's got some well-time shots, but his wrestling just looked, you know. There are certain things he's good at and can get to, but just his wrestling really just left a lot to be desired for, for what he was doing there. And, uh, yeah, even his game off his back was a lot left to be desired, even in round two when he had a little more energy. Um, you just saw, like, the game just really, really fall down. He, he looks like he cuts a lot of weight, too. He looked like he was in the best shape of his career in that fight. He even said he was healthy in like the post fight. He wasn't even making like any excuses on his Instagram post when you read the Portuguese translations I went through. So I don't even hear like an excuse like, "Oh, I had a bad weight cut." I, I never even saw any of that. Not saying there isn't that or he didn't say that or any of that, but I didn't see any of that. And you go back and and even comparing to previous fights, like the guy looked like the best shape he's ever going to get in in his last fight. And uh, he still kind of fell apart in certain positions. And so I came into this fight leaning Paul Craig. Paul Craig, round three. Um, but here's the thing. If Paul Craig's coming to this fight talking about distance, distance management and two grapplers, you end up having a striking matchup. I get all that. I get how that can happen. I get how it could happen with this fight organically. I get how it could happen organically in general. But when... You have both those check boxes, and a guy coming in specifically saying he's going to want to do that. Muniz, who in his submission wins, his decision wins, or his losses, um, if we're being critical, and I've been high on the guy, but if we've got to be critical on him, which i got to do, right? He doesn't get to the grappling as early as he'd like. Now, part of that reason could be, as we saw in that Brendan Allen fight, that you know his wrestling has a lot left to be desired. He's not making the Charles Oliveira... Uh, progression that you would like to see where you know he says be damned me getting stopped i'm going to show you that i can survive in dogfights and uh strike and use my underrated wrestling the, the problem is his durability both gas tank and chin wise doesn't seem to be having charles Oliveira uh pushes and uh the underrated uh clinch and takedown game that you saw as early on as charles Oliveira versus jeremy stevens right like eight years ago you're still not seeing that quite get there you saw that in round two uh he had the chance it was like a very charles Oliveira like takedown that he sets up right and i picked muniz to win by round two submissions some tough watches because that was one where i had uh my round robin it was a submission submission uh and they all hit uh so it was still a big round robin but it would have been an insane payoff when you have all four submission hits and what the last one to go was muniz the best on paper at least submission grapple on the card what could go wrong of course muniz comes out to eminem Strike one. We got the betting broadcast. Big bet placed on Andre Muniz. And at that point, I was, and then a strike two. And then he gives Buffer a fist bump. And at that point, I tweeted, I'm like, there goes my big bet. I was, I was so excited going in. I'm like, this bet has been lost. And sure enough, 
Um, it did, and uh, you know he did get to the to the positions that you would want to see. Where um, even a Charles Oliveira, who was questioned for his durability, his quitting, his gas tank, his chin, a lot of the same issues, um, didn't come through. And you don't want to judge a guy on one fight. Maybe he comes through here, but I don't know how confident he is. You know, I don't know. Uh, again, he still cuts a lot of weight. He's six one compared to Paul Craig, six three. He's been fighting for quite a long time, two thousand seven or two thousand nine. I mean, the dude's been at it for a while. And that was just MMA fights. He's been doing jiu-jitsu and even Muay Thai before then, which might explain um, some of the chin issues, right? Um, that being said, you know, Paul Craig, 1-3 against UFC-level southpaws, or 3-1 and one against UFC-level southpaws, but he was losing all those fights on the feet uh, with left kicks and left hands being the common culprit. That is what Muniz, whether he's coming forward or off the counter, does throw best. So... There's that, which means if Paul Craig does come in and fight like he's talking about and we get a, a close striking match, um, yeah, value's on the dog there. Paul Craig still, you know? He's going to have more of a home crowd advantage, even though he's London, he's from Scotland. I'm not saying apples for apples, but you know what I mean. You know who they're going to be rooting for, um, even if they didn't know where they were from, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd guess who they'd be rooting for. Not that I'm not saying shit against London. I'm just saying let's just, it's MMA, folks. It's an MMA. It's Florida, we get that. I, I do the same jokes when it's uh, on the U.S., folks. Relax, jokes. Um, but yeah, like um, you know, so it's just like, does does Paul Craig get it there? Which you know, again, perhaps validates more of a Paul Craig play. Well, if we're gonna get a close striking match, maybe he gets a decision that he probably doesn't deserve. That being said, I, I still think that Muniz could maybe edge that. And I think that, ironically enough, here's the thing: I think to, to, to tire him, kind of like Tabora said. Well, yeah, t you want to. Do the same thing like he wants to do to Aspinall. Test him and tire him, right? Test Mooney's, tire Mooney's. But to do that, you have to fight at a high pace and you have to grapple them. Because as we learn, not just strikers get tired when they grapple, but a lot of grapplers, whether they're jujitsu guys or wrestlers, get tired when they're having to do their specialty. Because it's just really fucking tiring to grapple no matter who you are, folks. That's just a fact. Especially as you get older, even though you do get wiser and your rank gets higher. Um when you get tired, all bets are off. All bets are off, right? And we've seen Paul Craig get tired earlier in his career, but that was like back in the Jimmy Crute fight and like Jimmy Crute's best performance. Since then, you see even at light heavyweight, he starts coming in in better shape, putting in more of a thing. Back to my guy Aaron Bronstetter, uh, to the interview, to hear how the 85-pound weight cut's going. He did trial cuts. He did bad mock trial cuts, which is actually like good to hear, so he knows how it feels doing it proper, doing it badly. Um, you know, uh, I've interviewed Paul Craig, I think, back at UFC 209. Uh, you know, seeing him next to his his, his guy, uh, Mark Godbeer, who was also on that same card. I forget what Jimmy went to go interview them at. But, um, it wasn't Syndicate, was it? No. But, uh, yeah, um, you know, even Paul then was just saying, he's like, yeah, I don't, he was just kind of messing around on the bike. And he was, I think he even made a joke at a certain point. He's like, why am I even doing this? I don't have a lot of weight to cut. Um, so, like, I, I've seen him behind the scenes in weight-cutting weeks, and he didn't cut a lot for light heavyweight. And, uh, again, back to the, that TSN interview with uh, my guy Aaron, he's talking about breaking sprinting and all these records at the PI and stuff like that. Um, and even in the fights where he's losing and he's getting rocked a bunch of times, like, uh, he used me, eh? Uh, that fight, um, he's still coming with a ferocious pace. He's just kind of shooting his own progress in the foot when he's wrestling when he shouldn't be wrestling. Kind of like Muniz. I mean, again, their striking isn't anything to write home about. I'm not saying it is, but I do think it's better than not just they're given credit for 
it's better than perhaps they think even perhaps they even give their own striking credit for if that makes sense you know because uh, these guys don't lean it to an, into it enough even you know there, there there's parts of that fight where he was actually doing pretty well against Allen um, small parts of that fight but it only remained small parts because he, you know he didn't have confidence in it and then was going for bad shots where he would get reversed right uh, same with Paul Craig right bad shots and then falls to his back uh, the one thing that is interesting, though, so it's just like I think what I was saying back to the, the pace thing is that Paul Craig has to grapple with Muniz here. And even though Muniz's wrestling is nothing to write home about, um, I could definitely see him getting the superior positions for at least the first half of this fight. It's can Paul Craig, A, not just survive, but survive and make Muniz fight at a high enough pace, too. Now, I think he can. He's really active off of his back, even though that's not the place you want to be against Muniz, who's better from his top than his back, right? Um, if Paul Craig starts getting takedowns, it's like, oh, crap, then maybe Muniz really is, you know, maybe we really do got to pull out the word fraud check, which I hate, by the way, especially when we do it only after, like, one performance. We don't really know what the guy's going, but yeah, man. Paul Craig starts getting takedowns. Um, that being said, it's just like it's going to be one of those things where either Paul Craig is able to survive because he actually has really good defensive jiu-jitsu. Seldom do you see him get mounted even because he's got he's got really good long use of his legs and good leg dexterity where he'll do lockdown deep half kind of things and uh, not X-guard uh, those same positions, but kind of like a you know a mix between that and a lockdown. I, I can't forget the, the names. It's a mix between like a little nog deep half and he's got like a lockdown. He loves that move gets out the bottom because of that he's seldom mounted and because he's seldom mounted and because he likes playing off his back the good thing about that is that he seldom ever gives his back in fact the closest that he ever got to giving his back was when he was dead gassed against jimmy crute and even then he was still able to roll through uh he still had really quick answers and that just was able to roll through but get even with just this most shallowest bite on what's already a low percentage move when you're rolling for knee bars and heel hooks off of turtle positions he was able to do it enough to not just not get his back taken but create a scramble reverse the position and get in on a takedown of his own on jimmy crute now again of course he would eventually lose he thought i think he thought he was good to the bell by playing defense and then um was just okay with uh, keeping his arm where it was and jimmy crute took advantage of that with a kimura which just so happens to be him and his play Stewie's house BJJ like specialty. Mm -hmm. They really pride themselves, I believe, on their double wrist lock uh, stuff over there. Uh, Kimura's over there, so he gets Paul Craig. But like, you know, against Mojeda, who's I know not a great fighter, but was a jiu-jitsu guy, or just any other fighters, you never see him get his back taken. And I bring that up because something that was highlighted in Muniz that even though he has all these different setups and stuff. A lot of them really are kind of based off of back control. In fact, he barely even goes for RNCs when he gets guys' backs, but getting the back is his thing. The guy's built like a grappler. He's got like a long back, wide, broad shoulders and chest, and he's got really skinny legs, which looks like, oh, this guy skips leg day, but like, you know, it was very built, similar built to my uh, coach, Neil Melanson, and these guys would on purposely not work, their, work out their calves um, to get the triangle sliding in under the knee easier and like stuff like that, like... Guys literally design their bodies to grapple, like would get like that into it. I don't know how efficient or how bro sciencey it is. I'm just saying it's something that that that, that does that does exist out there. And Muniz looks like one of those dudes. Um, but the armbar is a specialty. So if Paul Craig is good enough to have trained to get out of that and can survive. Can he push a pace and get a round three finish? Um, part of me wanted to pick Paul Craig, play him by round three. Uh, I'm, I'm probably chickening out here because there are so many other dogs that I feel like I, that 
could potentially make the cut that I don't want to sell myself early. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm probably like this is how much I'm still fighting myself on the pick subconsciously. I'm probably going to still pick Muniz here to win by decision. Um, it'd be like the Uriah Hall fight, you know, again a guy, another guy who can kick, except obviously kick a lot better than Paul Craig, and he was still able to close that distance. Um, say what you will about Uriah Hall, still a better counter grappler, or as far as counter wrestling goes, I should say stronger than Paul Craig. Uh, deceptively difficult. And, 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 you know, uh, stiff like a strong guy. Um, I, I think Muniz can, can get a decision here, but I am not playing Muniz at all. Um, it's either Paul Craig or Bust. I may still want to sprinkle on Paul Craig round three just because. Uh, but, yeah, he feels incredibly live here. Uh, I'll try to go faster for the rest of this, folks. Um, those are the fights I did the most tape on. And uh, everything else is all just... Uh, I did bios, interviews, and just surface level stuff. I haven't gotten to the full comb yet. Uh, Faraz ZM minus 160, Jai Herbert plus 130. Herbert didn't realize he was like 33 or 35. Not that I'm discriminating as a guy who's 37. I keep saying 38. I always get my age wrong. I'm terrible at that. I know. It's terrible, right? Stupid. Um, but yeah, maybe it's the age difference there, Faraz ZM. But it's weird, right? Because like you could argue like, you know, it's, it's a majority... It, Fight uh, win against you know guy on what was it short notice shorter notice I, I want to say um, I didn't watch the fight I had to go back and watch it against uh, who's the stout Italian Brazilian guy um, who almost knocked out Patty Pimblet. Uh a majority against him he gets a decision against Jamie Malarkey which I didn't go back to watch but I believe you could argue could have went the other way and basically it's just like it comes down to like one of you know some of his only wins is like. Uh, Figlack, who I believe was also like a short notice guy, I believe. I got still got to do my tape on it, but I'm like, huh. I know he's fundamentally sound. It's got a little more of a process, puts more visually out there optics, the jabs, uh, more likely to grapple, which has definitely been something fighters have taken advantage of Jai Herbert. But then again, also like really good fighters, right? Like Renato Moicano, Francisco Chinaldo. Like Jai Herbert got like thrown in the walls, whereas like Frazian got an easier strength of schedule and arguably still lost a majority of those fights even the ones he ended up squeezing out wins with right so it's really tricky there in other words i'm coming in really wanting to pick herbert here um i go to his socials though you know trenches at the renegade i'm like okay well there's like you know there's like leon edwards cross train there and then like you got a arnold allen and stuff and uh didn't see either of those guys in any of the socials um, it looks like he brought in a lot of tall guys who are good strikers, which is great for the striking. But whether it was the tall guy, specialty camp, out of camp, in camp, a lot of striking photos, a lot of photos in front of boxing rings, a lot of photos of the big gloves for Jai Herbert, which is good if that means we're going to see more fundamentals, more jabs, more uh, healthy builds off of his jabs and feints to maybe set up those head kicks and power shots that he actually uh, has some really good stuff off, both off the power and lead side. Um, that being said, what if ZM wants to get cheeky and grapple now, unless ZM dominates there, uh, which again, he's not really the type to dominate, is he scoring takedowns, you know, how much credit is he going to be getting those from the English judges, right? Um, you know, and, and, and agree with them or not that they're much more on board there and they're much more toward, you know, um, you know, as far as the more, uh, I guess newer, even though it's been since 2017 technically, but it's only been the last three years that we've seen a real more cognizant 
surface level socially aware movement however you want to characterize it move toward the, the recent most recent iteration of criteria English judges are, are more on the page uh, with each other in lockstep traditionally than the mixed markets that you do not dissing on the uh, usuals in Vegas or usuals in the US but the mixed markets we get in Vegas it's much more fucking grab bag you know whether we're in Texas or wherever that being said uh, anybody wants to play split decision props um England's not a bad market for it, you know, even though they are traditionally in lockstep. Um, we've also, for whatever reason, in this sport, we've seen some of the most controversial decisions, whether it's air quotes controversy or actual controversy. You know, we've seen them over, over in England. Was it the Bisping, uh, Bisping's rematch with uh, Hendo? Uh, you get the, uh, I don't know, whatever... I can't think of them all. Page Lima, I don't know. Uh, you know, Storley, uh, I don't know, whatever. Like, you, a lot of the fights, whether multiple organizations, um, you can get some weird stuff going on there. Uh, so maybe he does get taken down by Faraziam, and that's why he's got an advantage here on the line because he has an advantage on the ground. But is that going to matter if he's not doing anything really effective with it? And then maybe Jai Herbert with the home crowd, some big shots, is able to sway some rounds his way. Um, yeah, it just feels like a live dog. If anything, Herbert by decision just feels like a live, because um, it could be a really close fight. Uh, another fight that feels close and is pretty close by the odds, Lerone Murphy minus 140. What did he open as? Minus 163. So money coming in on Josh Kulabau, uh, a.k.a. Josh Chosubau, plus 115. I say that respectfully because I love Chosubau, clearly by looking at me, even though I don't eat it that often. Uh, and I like Josh Kulabau, so that's not not meant to be a diss on the guy who, uh, you know, 5'9 Pacific Islander guy who is weighing around my weight, getting down to the 145. Uh, if anything, this guy inspires me, man. Um, I got to go back and watch his fight with Melsick um, and a couple before that. Um, Lerone Murphy, though, is tricky, right? He was lo losing to Makwan in round one, which and he beats him in round two, which is not uncommon for the general structure of Makwan fights, but mm, the ceiling and hopes that... Perhaps myself, I wouldn't say like I'm like a crazy like Lerone Murphy stand, but I definitely you know thought he was a dark horse and uh, not feeling as confident about that is what I'm trying to say um, as we go through right um, now. Gabriel Santos, I know he lost his last fight, but that guy is good, man. That guy is good. Um, I believe that was I don't know if that was a shorter notice fight or not, but uh, shorter notice or full notice that that's a tough probably a tough guy to look good against. Especially Lerone Murphy, who doesn't seem like he likes to fight too much at the high pace. He likes to more control things uh, and have his opportunistic shots. Um, Kulabau may be able to pour on optics, may be able to deny him stuff with his pace, but not beyond being hit with stuff either, right? Or hurt from what I can recall. Um, so I'm going to have to go watch that. I know Kulabau, I don't know how much he was training with Volkanovski this time around. I know he was training with Jamie Malaki uh, over in Sydney. Uh, I don't know if you made it over to Wollongong, uh, over to Freestyle or not. Um, but yeah, um, again, man, Lerone Murphy and Nathaniel Wood, two English favorites with the pressure on, both talking to each other, but they got two Pacific Islanders who feel like live dogs. So uh, yeah, man, um, between me liking dogs, and uh, again, I like the favorites in all those cases. It's not even personal against them. Uh, neither of these guys are they're Hawaiian, even though they are Pacific Islander. Not that, that either that any of that should matter, but I'm just saying. Pacific Islanders feel alive, baby. So don't be surprised if there's any picks or plays in that direction. Um, that being said, even if I do pick Lerone Murphy, even if I do pick Nathaniel Wood, even if I do pick Muniz, which I did pick, even if I do pick Faraziam, my God, again, 
dogs on all those sides. I know I only play the fights where I'm playing angles on the chalk and hometown favorite chalk. But aside from those top fights, I mean, I feel like it's dogs all the way. We got another one here. Um, well, before that, let me go to the chat. I haven't given love to the chat for a minute. You guys probably have stuff from the main event and on. So uh, let's 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 get up in here. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, James Kendrick, it was hard to prepare for uh, Aspinall versus Tabora, considering Tabora fights are really boring. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, Ghost Phantom, how do you like Aspinall's push kick to the base leg when his opponent is kicking? I saw that a clip of that. That was pretty cool. Um, I don't know. Maybe they might do it to each other because Tabora used to do that because he w was working with Jackson Wink for a while, which really made his style look janky. But I noticed Tabora's kind of gotten away from those, so maybe Aspinall will do it more than Tabora. Um, it wouldn't be a bad distance management thing for a guy like Tabor who probably is going to want to get in and make it ugly. Rain Lamina, is Tom Aspinall a talented heavyweight or is he really talented in general but also a heavyweight? If you get my drift because heavyweights are not good in general. Um, I think the latter is true. I think he's really talented, but we'll see if he's a, a, a talented heavyweight, if you know what I mean. We just got to see more. I do have good feelings for him. I think England's got themselves a good one. He's really athletic. Um, if he can be improved and show some good transition off his back, which he may have ample opportunity for this fight, uh, I think it's really dangerous because, again, heavyweights can't fight off their back, and um, this could be a fight where who's worse off their back, and I'm willing to bet Tabor is worse off his back, which is why I'm picking Aspinall. Synchro Wing, I heard this on Santino DeFranco podcast. Syndicate MMA comes up with the worst game plans. This is Synchro Wing, not me, citing Santino DeFranco, not me, folks. Um, do you agree? Davy Grant is there, who I think is cool. But is John Wood that bad as an MMA coach? Um, I, I, I'm i not going to throw John Wood slander. Uh, I don't think I'm like, a, you know, I've been like, you know, been a cheerleader for him. It's a, it's a rival gym, which, you know, you could accuse me of that. Um, but honestly, without even having a dump on the guy or playing to the, I'm an extreme couture guy or anything like that, like, you know, um, I did. I did. I have. I, I don't think I've really. You know, uh, I've been come see, come saw. You know, as the French say. You know, I'm lukewarm. I don't really have too much of an opinion. I've had some negative things to say. I think like when, like when, um, I think it was like Joanne Calderwood, and I think it resulted in a win. But like, the fact that he was giving the ground advice, and again, the the whole significant other angle too, which is a tricky one to navigate. Um was kind of weird and it wasn't the greatest advice and it I remember playing off for Jojo one of her fights and then got her burned in the next one um but uh yeah man I I, I can't say I, I've been neither to here nor there um again I've had coaches who have worked with them uh I'm sure they have their opinions but again I don't I I, I can't say either way as far as game plans go nothing really jumps out at me um, he seems more of a Muay Thai striking guy, so, you know, I feel like, you know, guys like Vince Morales, who maybe are right-hand heavy, you know, and, and to credit John Wood, I think you've seen maybe, like, a little more arsenal from these guys here or there, um, but it's hard to say, man, it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to say what is where. There's a lot of good people coming through Vegas, too, so a lot of the gyms have gotten bulked up with both good training partners and, you know, assistant coaching staff, so... I don't want to S on one thing without crediting another, right? So there, there's that too. James Kendrick, can you say Paul Craig again with his cheeky score? Paul Craig. Grace me up, woman. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to go in a fucking uh, willy. My first act as mayor is to kill the whole lot of you. I know the mic's on.
That's a great episode. Sorry. Um, Marcus Mustard. Hello, mates. Get your crumpets, fish, and chips, Randy. I know, right? I'm trying not to bust into my. Shout out to the uh, uh, Pod Yourself a Wire podcast. Uh, I'll do my. I'm about to do my Davy Grant one here, but uh, but uh, at least I'm not doing. The, uh, and I love these guys. Oh my God! Apologies, English listeners. You must hate us Americans when we do that. Those kind of English accents, especially. Um, apologies for your ears, Marcus Mustard. Uh, we're going to London tomorrow. Nice. Enjoy the show, Marcus. Um. All right. Here's an interesting question from James Kendrick. He says, "Why do MMA reporters ask?" F- for fighters' opinions on other fights they are not a part of. Seems like a silly practice. I've been guilty of this, too. I try to only do it when it's relevant, when I'm genuinely curious whether they have history, especially if they have history with the fighters. I think it's relevant. Um, I think that it becomes a trend, though, on these bigger fight cards when you don't have questions to ask. They go, what do you think of this fight? And the funny thing is, what usually precedes that, those questions usually come toward the end because they're running out of questions and they don't realize, like, you know, you guys, you don't have to hear the sound of your own voice. We could make the scrum just shorter. Um, this is usually why I don't try to ask too many questions at those things. Um, but yeah, they'll also be like, they'll forget. What I notice too is they often forget the relevant shit. They they forget to ask them about their own fight. Like they'll ask them about whether they're, you know, swinging and missing, trying to like get the fighter to engage on and bite on something, or they've gotten the fighter to engage on something like feely with music or so forth, and they're rambling. Whatever the reason, interview going good, interview going bad. They seem to take forever to get around asking. Oh, so how do you think this matchup's gonna play? What do you th- what do you actually think of your opponent? And I know fighters are 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 sick of hearing that, so maybe you want to ease into it. But it's a scrum. Just get to the good questions that are relevant and get the fuck out. That's it. Um, Jimmy Kudo, I think Nathaniel. Wo- There's good people out there doing scrum. Shout out to my guy Simon Head on the ground and and the other folks out there on the ground. Abby Subban, uh, Jimmy Kudo. I think Nathaniel Wood is cool. He used to be a uh, a running left hand and has a really diversified game. Yeah, he's really diversified his game a lot. And uh, we'll see if there's still a lot of wait and see. But we'll see if I've got a good read. I'll, I'll get back to you guys on fight day. Um, Done. Forward to seeing the weigh-ins. Let's go Kuya. Let that dog money out on Murphy. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where I end up on that one, Marcus. All right, down to the prelims. we got Daniel Marcos, minus 140, versus Davey Grant. Hello, Poppins. Davey Grant, plus 115. Dan, he doesn't even sound like that. Why do I have to make him sound like a... Not Rafiki. That's, like, from The Lion King. But there's, like, an R name, maybe something Italian-sounding. But he's the, he looks like the guy from Pirates of the Caribbean. Hello, Poppins. There's, like, two of them. There's the weird bald fat guy who looks like he played Scrooge Tiny Nut Cheerios commercials from my childhood in the early 90s and then there's the guy that looks like Davy Grant he's like hello puppet come on Davy Grant there oh I gotta make him sound like a pervert like between what's creepier hmm, Davy Grant or Davy Grant they're both fucking awful why don't you stop saying both Dan um I think Davy Grant's live here I gotta go rewatch Daniel Marcos I remember I was impressed with his last fight but uh Davy Grant, you could blind bet him as a dog because you know that guy's going to fight for your money. Um, he's got a good chance to win a decision here because he's got those impactful striking that can steal rounds and make fights closer than he shouldn't, as seen in splits that he probably shouldn't have got, I believe, against Yanez off the top of my head because I don't have it pulled up in front of me because I'm a good podcaster. Um, you know, add in, uh, add in the English crowd, so to speak, right? I mean, he's got viable for decisions. And then random juju luck or, you know, round three, you know, needs a finish, as we saw, unfortunately. i got to go remind myself of that. Ugh. 
my guy, a sun sound. I am losing the bet there. Ugh. I uh, gotta go remind myself and rewatch that one. But yeah, he, the good news is Davy Grant can pull that shit out. So it's like you go bet Davy Grant right now, and uh, you don't gotta owe a justification for anybody. Of course, my literal OCD ass. Not just saying that and trying to be disrespectful of it. Actually, have it. Actually, meaning it. Uh, my OCD ass has to go uh, actually watch tape on it before I bet it. Uh, another person, and I think I missed the boat on this one. Let's see, what did he open as? Yeah, he opened as a slight dog, so I missed that, even though he opened at minus 105. Now minus 115, Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. Johnny Parsons, minus 105. I'm going to go rewatch um, stuff on this one, but Parsons also a syndicate MMA guy. Um, and, uh, again, I'm really sympathetic to uh, head issues of all sorts, right? What we were talking about earlier, mentality. But another head issue that I have experience with, unfortunately, and also sympathy with is concussion issues. And that seemed to be what Johnny Parsons had. That's what's been keeping him out. And, in fact... He seemed to have it even going into his last fight before that and had to actually do a specialty camp around it, which is scary and was kind of hesitant to talk about, which I understand in general. I mean, you know, you talk about it at work, it gets you pulled from a fight, which you should have. It should have been booked in the Jared Gordon case, right? But obviously that's what he's worried about. But just in general, corporate America, I learned this when I had my, uh, when I had my, yeah. Fuck Whole Foods, by the way. Uh, when I had that job and shit, running their money, uh, running their running their deposits, when I was the only person that could do that job, and because uh, it was boring and it sucked, you had to be up there early. I have experience in banking and so forth, and uh, I get a concussion in training camp for my second fight in 2015, amateur fight, of course, and um, and yeah, um, despite having full insurance, because God forbid something could happen like a broken bone, doesn't cover head trauma. And they use that to not just not insure me, but uh, give me the old boot and uh, and uh, unceremoniously, uh, you know, uh, let me go, which uh, turned into a blessing and a curse because now I'm fucking here. You guys can do it too if you have a job you don't like. I kept a notepad next to my fucking register, and I came up with what websites and ideas I wanted to do, and I turned it into a reality. You guys can too, especially if my dumbass can do it. Um, so again, not rooting against Johnny Parsons here, but I do hear that, and I do worry, obviously. And Danny Roberts, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a history of it with like just his record of being knocked out, the chinniness. He almost looks like he has like short circuits when he gets hit. It's like it's really uncomfortable. But he's a really talented southpaw uh, who has his moments, can really explode, and he really can tax these guys. Whether it's like the uh, Oliver N Camps or the uh, other names I don't have pulled up in front of me, you know. Um, I'm gonna go look into it a little more, but even at minus 115, um, I may be interested in playing Roberts here. Um, this just feels like it's gonna be served up to him, you know. I know Parsons is a tough, come forward guy, art of eight limbs, loves his Muay Thai, but his defense has never been that great. And if he's not having the durability or the confidence in the durability, even if the durability is there, there's also the confidence in the durability, right? Like your knee can be good, but the fighter, why aren't they going for takedowns? Why aren't they putting their hooks in? Because it's mentally it's mental there there's that block too that's two clear hurdles there in a matchup that i already would have favored and been looking to play roberts on paper even without that knowledge of parsons so i'm gonna go look back at the tape to make sure i'm not crazy but this is a prelim even though i've got enough i, I still got three fights to, to finish taping on the main card tonight because i got to get everything out early um davy grant and da danny roberts are, are two target i'm not saying i'm even gonna pick them much less play them folks but that's who I'm targeting for those reasons. Yoel Alvarez minus 200. Mark Diacasey 
plus 165. I'm done. Uh, D.A. as an underdog. Uh, and again, usually when I do pick him, it's because, you know, I'm like, okay, athletic, uh, even though he's not like the best opportunist even, it's more just athleticism, right? Um, and athletic potential, which I don't like to pick. I like to fade, and I am reminded why I like to fade it when I do make that argument and pick Dia Casey. So I'm actually going to go with the size bully, Yoel Alvarez, um, to uh, do a better job at kicking at range and maybe uh, recreate a submission finish, whether it be by like a random triangle or a guillotine uh, in transition to get uh, Dia Casey, trying to get him down if we get D1 Dia Casey. Um, ain't no way I'm playing chalk on Yoel Alvarez, especially as he gets older. Trying to make this cut at 6'3". The guy could be an Adonis as a middleweight. Not just welterweight. No, no. The guy could be an Adonis. A good-looking, healthy, big middleweight. But he, he's insisting on killing his body and his health so he can bully smaller guys at 155. I don't know why the fuck he's doing it. It's not an attack on his character. If anything, it is a concern for his fucking career. I want the guy to do well. What the fuck are you doing? Uh, but, yeah, 155. Where size bullies come to play. Jamal Pogue's minus 160. Mick Pocket, <laughs> you know I do the raw Davy Grant there. The other terrible English accent that's about to come back. Brace yourselves. That looked like maybe it's more appropriate for Mick Park. And oh, they're fighting them. Oh, they really ain't they? Oh, they're all. Sorry, folks. Apologies to Mick Parkin too. I'm sure he's I'm sure he's a nice guy. Shout out to my guy Zane Zane Simon tweeted. What the fuck's a Mick Parkin? Um, I looked at this and I don't know why. Even though Jamal Pogues, you know. Um, may not have the best gas and doesn't seem to get round three finishes. I'm like, oh, round three finishes because Mick Parkin is getting pushed to market and uh, doesn't get past uh, round two, I believe. But I'm going to go back and read my contender series uh, grading the winners, which you can read on both these guys I've got write-ups on, and rewatch what they've done since. Um, if there's anything been since for Mick Parkin, this might actually be his first fight since the contender series. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. But that being said, even if I saw an angle, would I really want to take it on this fight? Like, no. Uh, I'm leaning towards Jamal Pogues. Maybe I pick Parkin, but, like, either way, we'll, we'll even I end up on a dog or I see an angle for the favorite. There's way too many uh, potential spots. There's way too many fights in general. 15 fucking fights. Fucking never stops. Um, to really care about this fight. Uh, third fight for the South, by the way, uh, Johnny Parsons. I don't think he's faced the UFC levels. Southpaw. If he did, I got to imagine it's a short list. And the only other Southpaw for the Southpaw report, we got Brian Barbarina, baby. Making a return to his regional days at middleweight, plus 275, with Mahmoud, baby. Mahmoud. What's he been doing, huh? Uh, what's he been up to? What's he been making his money? Uh, minus 350. Easy, Dan. Easy. Um... Yeah, I don't like this fight. I love Brian Barberina. I don't like him going back up to middleweight, though. Lest we not forget, even though it doesn't matter, but people are going to miss this. Uh, Brian Barberina is actually primarily a middleweight in his regional career, and that's actually where he accrued most of his regional titles was at middleweight. That being said, regional middleweight is a, is a huge wasteland. Like, And it's like, you know, I remember like, all right, Dan, you got to cut down to 55 or 45, and, you know, we'd go to the Tough Enoughs back in like the Ronda Rousey days when Tough Enough still had a ring. You know, watching fights with my guy Jimmy Jones, and I'd just be like, yo, the guys in your divisions look actually good. Like, why don't I fight at middleweight and just, like, not cut weight, just walk in, like, 179, 182? And, because these guys look trash. Like, I feel like I could actually beat these guys. <laughs> so, again, you know, Marbarina did fight middleweight regional, but he fought middleweight regional. So, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I gotta look more into this. I gotta look more into Brian's socials. I actually didn't get to look into it because he already is kind of like dad body, which I love. That's why. That's why I love him. But yeah, I don't know. Obviously, Mahmoud, the only Southpaw offhand, was the one he lost to, Gerald Mearshart. I don't know if he's fought or won since then. I'll actually click on, on a record for once instead of talking out of my ass here. Um, Mahmoud, baby. Uh, Kyle Bahio, actually. Yeah, he had that loss there. Um, which was uh, via grappling there. And, and Barbarina, of course, should be coming off of a loss to Gunnar Nelson. Oof, that was sad and disappointing. Yeah, I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, hard to hard to get behind Bar Barbarina. You know, I'm talking about dogs, and dog is live, even if I pick the favorite. Um, yeah, man, I mean, my heart's with Barbarina, but I'm, I'm leaning to Muradoff, and uh, I wouldn't, I don't know. You know, who knows, maybe, maybe you sprinkle Barbarina round three just if you get, like, a stupid number on it just for fun, but, uh, yeah, I'll probably be picking Muradoff uh, begrudgingly, begrudgingly. Um, Ketlin Vieira, minus 150. Penny Kianzad, plus 125. Uh, money coming in on Kianzad, which means I'm not crazy because you know I'm leaning to Kianzad. Um, she's one of the dogs I probably picked as a dog the most and never played. Uh, and I've been, like, right on so many Kianzad fights, whether she's a dog or a favorite, and I just never play it. So I don't know if I'm going to get around to it again. Six fights, still three to go, plus two more I want to look into for potential plays on the prelims. Six fights total. Uh, including prelims and remainder of the main card if I add in a potential Penny Kianzad play because I'm OCD and I'm going to want to research it. Man, but you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to be picking Kianzad for sure on Toutmaster and in general. We'll see if I play her. Um, next fight, Chris Duncan, minus 160. And Anel uh, Ashmoos, uh, plus 130. Um, Ashmoos, also a live dog. Uh, not sure if I'm going to research it or play it, and the reason why I'm saying it is because I believe he actually opened as a favorite, so uh, not crazy for me to say a live dog, and not crazy for you to play uh, Ash Moose, because uh, whenever there's a line flip, yep, he opened at minus 133, you almost have a complete line flip here, um, you don't owe it to anybody, you can go and play that, uh, bet against the public, uh, your betting value, uh, all those things are good, I trust the odds makers more than the public as much as we love to fade and criticize their lines um but yeah we'll see i would be playing with the public there with uh with uh the one before that though with kianzad so who else who knows uh Bruno brazil minus 125 more money coming on her opposite shauna bannon this makes you kind of feel like i want to fade shauna bannon because it's like oh she's the new hot thing coming in town and Bruno brazil more proven but is she really more proven you know uh, I haven't seen too much on Shauna Bannon. Um, got love for the Taekwondo background and the TMA background. She kind of has that Michelle Waterson thing where she's like more traditional martial arts, league leg kicks and stuff uh, from her southpaw. And then the more MMA uh, fundamentally trained kickboxing striking. Uh, she's also got kickboxing background as well. A bunch of those things. It's always hard to say that. ISKAs and all those things. Um, it's like how many women were in the division, how good were they, yada, yada. But yet she does have the accolades. She put the time in. And that's probably where her orthodox stance was developed because she has more traditional attacks from there. Switches kind of, you know, without too much process. Um, she's been working a lot with Molly McCann. So home, we'll see. Uh, at least, you know, you're training with people that are on the card at least, you know. That's good for both of them. Um I'll lean Bannon just because, you know, again, live underdogs feel throughout this card, and I don't trust, I didn't like what I saw out of Bruno Brazil from what I remember. Um, but even if I pick Bannon, I don't think I'll be playing that. This, this is the dog that's safe to say that even if I pick it, I won't be playing it. 
Um, lastly, but not leastly, Jalel Jafel Filo, uh, minus 135. Um, come back on Daniel Barres, plus 110. Uh, yeah, I haven't looked into this fight. I'll go Jafel Filo because he's the guy I remember. He's the guy who's favored. Probably for that reason. Who knows? We'll see. But you first fight on the prelim. You guys know I'm not going to get to it. I'm not going to. You, you know, don't look to me uh, too much uh, for that one. Um, all right. What time did we do? We'll clean up the chat. 1:45. Five and break down. Let's clean up the chat, shall we? And then we'll recap picks and plays. Get the fuck out of here. This was a long one. Good thing I skipped. Uh, Reviews, which, by the way, thank you for the positive ratings and reviews on iTunes. Please leave those. There's been recent ones. I'm going to shout you guys out, I promise. MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Click-throughs for Amazon or on it. God forbid you shop there. If you do, ease your conscience. You just go to MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Click the banner that's to the right. Scroll down. Toggle to the right if you're on the mobile. See that? Click it through. Everything will be... Uh, it won't give me any of your information, but if you do shop through Amazon, it'll tell me what's purchased, not by who, none of your information. I will read that, though, anecdotally and funnily enough uh, on uh, a soon-coming episode. All right, chat cleanup. Uh, Marcus Mustard, appreciate you, my guy. Um, you says... Uh, what did you say? You said something about Pogues that I wanted to read. Mm-mm-mm. This one is all Mooney's here for me, but gamble at your own risk against the Bear Jew. Absolutely well said. Um, says, I like Pogues, Marcus Mustard says, to spoil the British homecoming here. Yeah, he's favored too, so I wouldn't be surprised. James Kendrick, is training with people on the card an advantage or disadvantage? Um, I like it. I would like to think it's an advantage because like, there's a lot of fighters who like... You know, like, Muniz and, and Bearju, for example, like, they just look like they're training with a bunch of random dudes. Like, I didn't recognize anybody they're training with, right? Um, so it gets real dangerous. Sometimes that mean, what does that really mean, right? Does it mean anything at all? How much does that really affect it? Uh, but if you did want to put any kind of sort of value, I guess, into that, like, well, are you training with someone that's at least in the UFC? But then again, this is an entry-level UFC fighter, and UFC level is a word that has been bastardized, beaten, blown to hell, and the definitions are scattered around the world uh, like, a, like a Dragon Ball after you just make the wish. So who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows, really? All right, recapping. Thank you guys, by the way. Smash the like button if you haven't already. Subscribe to join the chats in the future. Uh, monetization is on. I haven't been saying that lately, by the way. But hey, you know, I'm actually, you know... Uh, we'll see. We could maybe get back into the black this weekend. We're within striking distance, within three units. We're, you know, technically four official winning uh, uh, nights in a row. Uh, so uh, any tips, appreciations? Again, uh, not priority, no exclusivity. I'll give you guys love. I appreciate you guys. Either way, we'll cite you in the chat either way. But Super Chats donations are on for live listeners or if you're listening after the fact or if you listen live or listen after the fact, took my advice, made some plays, you want to come back and tip, you're like, I forgot the PayPal shit. I'll just do this super chat YouTube stuff. You can do that too. It's fine. Um, all right. Uh, taking Aspinall, a.k.a. Asinall, baby, over Deep Buddha, Deep Buddha. Uh, no Blagoy, so I have to use that weird voice now for Tabora. Um, rest in peace, Blagoy. Danny's not dead. Um, taking Molly Machan. Uh, <laughs> Julija Stoliarenko taking I don't know we'll see where I end up with Wooden Feely check me at Dan Tom MMA probably taking Mooney's begrudgingly but it's Bear Jew or pass from a betting line uh, 
leaning toward Herbert, maybe? We'll see. But check me on uh, my quick picks and prognostications on fight day. See if I end up with Faraz ZM. Um, maybe leaning toward Chelsea Bob but check me on uh <laughs> check me oh oh as i say that and tease the dog who comes over brownie you put a paw on me oh and she's in the screen oh is it josh cool about time is it josh josh you about time huh big stink look 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 over there stinks look 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 there you go. she's like a fucking amount all right all right all right uh what about uh, what about my pick uh over davy grant over marcos brownie are we liking that Definitely leaning that way. Check me on picks to see if it makes it official slash a play. But I'm definitely leaning toward Davy Grant. Um, not officially a dog anymore. Uh, Roberts over Parsons. I'm definitely leaning that way. We'll see if I play it and pull the trigger. And if uh, it's too late to pull the trigger by the time I get to it, right? Um, nothing for my prop squad yet, too. So I got to get something for that. Uh, hopefully I'll find something in tonight's study. Um Leaning toward, uh, Al I'm confident enough to say I'm leaning toward Alvarez over Casey. There definitely won't be a play. Probably won't be a changeup and pick either. Leaning toward Pogues over Parkin, regardless of what ends up being the pick. I can confidently say there probably won't be a play. Um, feels like it's Barbarina or a bus. Harps with Barbarina, but as an analyst, I probably got to officially pick Muradov over Barbarina. So don't be surprised to see that pick and a no play, unless you want to play like Barbarina round three just for fun odds. Uh, definitely leaning toward Kianzad, and I should just blind bet her automatically just for the simple fact of my good track record with her and failure both of last week and with her in particularly of not trusting my balls. But again, just like I was worried about walking into the trap last week, do I do it with this week? If I was worried about, you know, getting greedy, getting greedy like a Tony Hawk pro skater grind combo, getting greedy, Dan, are you going to get, you were worried about getting a four, are you really going to get to five? Huh? And are you going to do that classic overcompensation where, oh, my lean's hit. Now I'm going to go four. I'm not going to trash my balls this week. And you go right into a fucking London card fight night and you get your ass chewed out to you. Like the last London card. I don't even know if I lost Landis London card, but that probably just sounds about right, right? Going with the odds here. <laughs> Scary, right? I've got That's what's playing in my head right now. But yeah, taking Kian's ad over Vieira. Um, leaning... Ash Moos over Duncan, but check me on fights, uh, quick picks, and prognos or check me on uh, at Dan Tom MMA where I post my picks on Fight Day on Twitter as long as it's still around. Leaning toward Bannon over Brazil, but no matter what I pick on there, that's not one I, I want to get invested on. And uh, leaning toward Filio over Barres, who is a favorite. So yeah, probably going to be uh, a majority underdogs or at least half underdogs as far as picks. That being said, on my official play so far, officially. Only on the top two favorites. Aspinall, round one, plus 100. 1.25 units. Aspinall, round one, sub, plus 500. 0.20 units. That's 20 ducats. That's just under 1.5 unit exposure total for Aspinall. And on the next fight, we got McCann, Storyalenko, under 2.5 rounds for minus 150 at 1.5 units. And, of course, I sprinkled on McCann, uh, plus 650 round two. I think plus 1100 was the number I gave out earlier round three. Both those point seventeen U for a potential bonus return. Uh, and that's all I got. Again, going to look to target... Uh, maybe I maybe I target uh, something on the uh, Feely as a dog. Maybe I target Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert by decision. Maybe Josh Kulabau. Josh Kulabau by decision. Uh, just Davy Grant money line because who knows how that guy can win, right? Uh, Danny Roberts... Uh, money line uh, is something else I'm going to be looking maybe to possibly target. Panny Kianzad money line is a dog, something I'm going to be looking 
to possibly target, possibly Kianzad by decision. Uh, maybe one of those decision props, if I end up liking the pick, will at least make for a sprinkle if I don't do a money line play. It will account for my prop squad, but check. Stay tuned to Action Network, especially on Fight Day. Tons of good content over on the Action Network on the Action app where I officially track all my shit. That's right, baby. Public. Going through the work, showing my work, counting for my work, posting for my work. Over half a decade, but that's right. This year, even going further, doing the third-party tricking on top of it. Follow me there, at DanTomMMA. Thank you all. Uh, I wrote Fast and the Furious and Race Wars is because uh, all, back at UFC 290, all their promos were looking like, they just look like Fast and the Furious trailers. Like, they just strung together trash, essentially. And uh, the funny thing is, Fast and the Furious was originally called Race Wars. And on that night of UFC 290, of course, they sanctioned the race war with Dreykus Duplessis and Israel Adesanya. So I just found that. That was funny. But, oh, yeah, we really do have race wars. It came full circle. I don't know why I felt like I needed to make a note on that. But um, thank you, guys. Uh, much love. Thanks for the likes. Thanks for the subscriptions. Um, and, boys, Dogs Are Live. That Daspinal round one sub sounds like a good prop squad. Um, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe I will use that. We'll see if someone already took that. I'll check my thread. Thank you, M boys. Thank you, uh, Marcus Mustard. Uh, appreciate that. Yes. Good luck to you, sir. Good luck to all of you. Good luck on your picks and plays, and of course, always protect your neck. <laughs>